Ho, ho, ho. Uh, Merry Staxmas? No. Oh, that, my God. That's I love terrible, it. honestly. <laughs> no, it's uh, great. Uh, this is Jay. Shanna knew the score. She knew that she had to come up with the best name ever that she could come up with. There were so many, but she had to come up with something original, something no one would guess. I'm Shanto. See, I, I was almost going to introduce you as Shanna Claus. That was that was my second choice. Uh, because uh, this week, uh, our, this episode will be landing on uh, Christmas Day. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Merry Staxmas, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Merry Christmas, Stack. We're, we're uh, doing a uh, Christmas movie, uh, sort of. Christmassy movie. It's set at Christmas, technically. Well, there are the first suits. part of it is. Yeah. Uh, well, part of it. Uh, the uh, It's all set at Christmas. Like, all of the, like, the interview... Uh, it's oh, technically taking place on December 24th. It's just really sunny out and it doesn't look all that Christmassy. Yeah, where is this supposed to be taking place? Does I think it it's say? California. It's California somewhere. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's sunny. Uh, but Silent Night, Deadly Night, Part 2. Uh, much maligned, much memed. A uh, strange little thing. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those rare instances of, like, a random minor side character completely overtaking a franchise. <laughs> uh, I would call this one Silent Night, Deadly Night 1.5. I don't even know if I'd go with a 1.5, maybe like a 1.2. It's a new build. True, true. Like, uh, you still have to play through the old version to get to the new <clears throat> stuff. Yeah, uh, it, as I described it in my review, it's like 40% post-consumer waste. Uh, it, it's it's heavily recycled, and it's kind of not great how it's recycled. Uh, it, it Like, the, the use of the original movie is not done well. It specifically cuts out all of the gore and most of the violence. It's very strange the way it does it, because... It has its own added gore that's, I mean, it's very bloodless, but it's pretty wild. Very over the uh, top. The Umbrella Kill's pretty bloody. It's, uh, apparently it's heavily cut down. From what I understand, there is supposed to be, like, all sorts of entrails on the Umbrella that they just, you know, had to cut down for ratings reasons. Ah, uh, that would have been so much better. But, like, they even mention in the documentary on the disc, uh, we, we were watching the, the Shout Factory or Scream Factory collector's edition one uh and there's a feature documentary where they talk to all of the people who are involved with the making of it uh it, which is a much less contentious one than twisted soul which we talked about a little while back the oh, spookies the, the spookies one yeah yeah <laughs> man I'm, I'm still feeling the bitterness emanating from those guys's opinions yeah, they, they were they were unhappy. These people like when when this had its memification, when Garbage Day went nuclear on YouTube, uh, they embraced it. They they're like, hey, people finally are taking an interest in this movie that was sort of uh, completely disregarded all this time. Like we we didn't think it would be this, but sure, we'll take it. <laughs> uh, the funny thing is, Garbage Day is such a tiny part of the movie. I thought like. There'd be a whole scene of him, like, putting a guy in a garbage can or something. No, he just... It, it's just such a tiny part of a much, much bigger scene. 
it's just such a good line and it's such a crazy reading uh oh his line deliveries oh my god his line deliveries and his face acting especially his eyebrows his (laughs) eyebrows do so much work in this movie they're just going they're going up and down and up and down (laughs) yeah Uh, so that's eric freeman as ricky uh the little brother of billy uh the the star of the previous movie i forgot that billy had a little brother yeah it that when i you know i had seen silent night deadly night much like you had and it was a while before i saw silent night deadly night part two uh you know just for whatever reason i I had a negative reputation and i loved silent night deadly night so really good (laughs) it, it fucking rules so i i came to it and i watched it and much like you i was like did they just like paste in some baby and pretend he had a little brother and it, it took me like going back to rewatch it and like no all of that's there they just heavily heavily feature it in a way he's just a complete background character in the first yeah like I, I remembered at the end of the flashback that the little brother did point at mother superior and be like naughty, naughty. at the end but yeah. they, they changed the voice to be the the actor's voice i think <laughs> I, I believe so uh <laughs> Eric Freeman is so interesting. He he made very few films and he sort of just vanished from the public eye. And he was like the last person to become aware of this movie's cult status. Oh, really? <laughs> I do remember there being a period online of people searching for him because he was just totally AWOL. He had completely dropped out of the public eye. And there was like a Finding Freeman website or something. Oh, oh poor guy. And he just was totally unaware of it. Uh, it. It just somehow had completely gone over his radar. He wasn't into memes. He never picked up on it. But now he's totally into it, and he's like involved in the fan scene. Oh, cool, cool. But uh, uh, I, I've only seen him in like one other movie. He's in one of the David Dakota movies. Uh, you might remember him from We Covered Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolorama. Oh, he was in that? He's not in that, but he was in another, uh, like, one of the other 80s David Dakota films with Linnea Quigley. And, you know, uh, the, the same same girls who were in all of them, uh, <laughs> just with different dudes. I think he's in Murder Weapon, where he's just one of the dead meats in a slasher house. But it's like, the same year as this, so he looks exactly the same. <laughs> Does he do the eyebrow thing? He does. Uh, not as much, though. He doesn't get quite as much screen time. I mean, here he's the lead. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who it was they said he was up against in the casting. There was someone actually recognizable who is pretty well known now who they were originally going to cast. Uh, and is like, uh, but we just felt, you know, he had the more, uh, he, he just had, had the better presence or something. He just there. There is an electricity to him, and it's it's true. <laughs> it's true. He's just his acting's really, at least in this movie, anyway. It's really odd. I don't want to say it's bad. It's just this is a weird character, and he plays it weird. Well, one of the things he mentions in the documentary that I thought was really telling is there is he's talking. I think about the scene where he kills the rent a cop, where, where he turns the gun and shoots him in the head, mm-hmm. and he says something about like the line deliveries that both of them were giving. And he realized that he was in a comedy 
<laughs> but this is like late in the shoot too. So I don't know. Uh, a part of it is this was kind of shot as an industrial film. It, it was just supposed to be an editing job to release this movie on home video because they had the rights to the footage from Silent Night, Deadly Night. And they're like, it's too bloody. We got to cut some of that violence out. And, you know, maybe we could add a voiceover and make it from the kid brother's point of view. And then, like, they got really ambitious with it. <laughs> <laughs> they made it's. I like to compare it to like uh, when they do expansion packs for games like Skyrim, mm -hmm. like there's this whole other continent. But if you're starting from the beginning, you still have to do the first continent before you can get to the new stuff. But the new stuff is always so wild and you just want to skip right to it. Yeah, because especially because the way they do this stuff, it is like you've already played through it. It's boring. It's rote. They're just kind of it's all of the plot points you need to have, but all of the things from ricky's point of view except a lot of stuff that's totally not from his point of view that like how could he ever have known about it in any way oh yeah well they even ask him it's like how do you remember this you were a baby I he's like i there. remember yeah i was there i remember it uh <laughs> i i love his ensemble his jean jacket his cigarette <laughs> his totally blank expression except for when his eyebrows just start spinning off his head <laughs> like like a a cartoon character eyebrows, like Daffy Duck doesn't move his eyebrows as much as this guy. No, I, I should say, uh, I don't think I mentioned director Lee Henry, I guess, arguably editor, first and foremost, <laughs> Lee Henry, who, uh, and that's sort of the thing about the documentary. They say that he was not really involved in directing actors. He was there to get shots. So what they maybe took as just, uh, that's uh, the right performance is, He's like, I wasn't looking at the performance because he even mentions at some point, I just knew that, you know, I'd hired the actors to do their job and I was there to do my job of getting the shots. Like it was shot <laughs> as an industrial film, like shake hands with danger. <laughs> bow, 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 bow. <laughs> uh, which gives it a certain energy and it gives the actors uh, room to play. <laughs> oh, they, they do. Some of the one-shot actors in this are just as fun to watch as the lead guy. Yes. Well, I, I like the psychiatrist quite a bit, too. He's pretty funny. Uh, he's... I, I wouldn't call him funny. He's just... He's a good at this weirdly serious character. Well, just the expressions and the way the two of them play off each other is kind of comical. And how <laughs> incredibly rude he is. Like, the guy just is sort of a, uh, a dickwad. Oh, he totally is a dickwad. Because, like, when we, we have the whole thing with the opening credits where he's setting up just we, we establish the shit out of that. There is an interview about to take place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Five so, minutes of well, microphone and let's see these tape recorders here. Yeah. Well, the orderly is like looking back at him and he's looking at him and just like smiling that evil grin like, hey, watch out, orderly. Orderly doing a lot of face work, just like, oh, suspicious, angry, angry, suspicious, and like, scared. You know, yeah, going in between him and the doctor, Dr. Bloom. And of course, you know, after all of these five minutes, suddenly the doctor is just very rudely dismissing the guard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, leave us now. Like, like he's now! a super villain. <laughs> so. He he has this whole rigmarole introducing himself like, oh, I'm Dr. Bloom. You could call me Henry or Bloom or Doc. 
And so Eric's very first line or Ricky's very first line in the movie is fuck off duck. (laughs) (laughs) He's trying so hard to be the edgiest edgelord that ever edgelord edgelord of an edgelord. Yeah, it, it is. It is incredible. Like he has the most, uh, perfect, 15 year old rebel energy uh the the coolest guy in middle school oh my god he would be that guy (laughs) (laughs) he has a motorcycle he does uh so like dr bloom says my time is very valuable and he does that oh and his eyebrows are just like pumping (laughs) and mine isn't He's just like every entitled internet troll or incel. Oh my god, that's exactly that's exactly what he is. Yes. He predicted uh, the breed. He he has the exact same arguments. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never get into my head, doc. You're the 13th psychiatrist to try. Which come on, that's absurd. He doesn't <laughs> probe him at all. He just stands there and like waits for him to talk and he talks. He's like itching to talk about it oh yeah you'll never get into my head so anyway when i was a baby (laughs) there's just all of this posturing and then like the guard has to step back in again and (laughs) i i I love uh fucking bloom is i said get out (laughs) like whoa this guy is here to you know stop you from being killed by this crazy guy i just imagine the guard after that like hey don't come shouting to me when you if uh, you get strangled or whatever. Yeah, and and the the doctor is like, okay, fine. The rules are you just answer the questions, you jerk, and I <laughs> record them. I'm like, I, how is this supposed to be good psychiatric work in any sense? For one, but <laughs> I I do like how he is able to play this with utter sincerity and like, well. I'm going to make it sound very reasonable that uh, I'm annoyed with you and you're going to answer my questions and somehow it works. <laughs> well, I don't think it so much worked as Ricky saw this doc and was like, number 13, this will be the one. This will be my lucky break. I guess so, because it does work for him. Sort of. I mean, there sort are of. sequels and they all star Ricky. Oh, <laughs> not not this actor, but they're all Ricky in different forms. As I recall, I think one of them is Clint Howard as Ricky. <laughs> uh, th- that set should be coming to me, but uh, we're currently <laughs> snowed in and the uh, West Coast has no mail running. But, you know, it'll it'll get here sometime. Eventually. Yeah. Oh, that snow is uh, crazy right now. Yeah, it's nuts. It's still going. <laughs> so uh i i love that the date just randomly appears after we've gone through this all right you're just going to answer the question and it says it's december 24th and one really it doesn't look all that december but okay uh and yeah. why <laughs> yeah. why does it need to be december 24th I'm like okay i guess the at the end of the movie spoilers he dresses up as santa claus and goes for revenge but it's <laughs> it's just weird. It, it yeah. never really looks December-y, and it's always supposed to be Christmas. I think his Garbage Day Rampage is also circa Christmas. I think so. It's it's not clear exactly when that happens in no. relation to any. Yeah. 
Uh, but like, uh, I, part of the thing is this whole movie was shot in one week. Oh, oh well, then some of the some some of the shots they got are pretty good for only having a week. It's not bad. <laughs> well, that, that's the thing. Also, he was he was focused on getting the shot and uh, not so much on the acting. It's like, well, the actors will do their jobs and I'll do my job. So yeah, he he just says. Who killed your parents, Ricky? And the eyebrows just start going wild. And he says, Santa Claus. (laughs) (laughs) And it's the first of the the long segment of the movie where it's just, we have a whole bunch of clips from Silent Night, Deadly Night, but with the gore cut out. Yeah. um, We basically see the whole first movie as far as I remember it, I don't remember any scenes that aren't in here. Yeah, I mean, it, it omits some small stuff, mostly in terms of Billy's own personal development. Like the thing when he sees uh, the nun having sex with the guy and sort of gets all of the uh, stuff associated with sexuality. Oh, that's that's it touched on. He does... I- sort of. I mean, very, very lightly, because I it's not part of ricky's experience i i I think it's sort of referred to more well a lot of it isn't but that's sort of what's interesting to me conceptually about this movie is that he's kind of a copycat killer and he doesn't have any real emotional connection to it but the funny part is how the sex is what triggers sex and santa claus are what triggers billy through a really rigorously and difficultly established uh, psychological profile that half the movie is devoted to. Oh, you know, there is one scene I remember that uh, doesn't show up in here is when Billy meets the grandfather who tells him Mm, to watch out for Santa Claus. Grandfather totally omitted. Yeah. Uh, Presumably Billy doesn't, or uh, presumably Ricky does not remember it because, you know, he was a baby and, I feel like, you know, it, it's it's absurd. He is a baby, like literally he's like one year old uh, being oh. held in his mom's arms the whole time. So mm-hmm. we know all of this is secondhand. Maybe that's why it's so cinematic. I mean, obviously it's cinematic because it is just the first movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, but please. I, I did kind of get the feeling when he was still telling the story, but it wasn't the first movie that he was going to do a usual suspects thing. And mm. all of his stuff was going to be fake, but it's not quite what happens. No, I I think it's just, uh, and and it's I I don't think it's really conscious, but the the way I I like to read it or or interpret it is it feels it because this movie is also at a much lower production value and does feel very shot for video, not shot on video, but you know made for just a a, a VHS release, um, that. Uh, the the first one feels so much more cinematic, and it's also this cinematic expression of his memory that he wasn't really there for, but it's him remembering storytelling. Okay. And then I also wonder that maybe Billy doesn't remember the grandpa thing, because we know it's a foundational memory. We know it's one of these totems that kind of put everything together, that it's the thing that gave him this horror of Santa Claus, even before he came and attacked the family. Mm -hmm. And maybe he just tells uh, Ricky about the attack, but he omits the grandpa part that sort of sets it up. 
and yeah, like you say, it could well be that he doesn't remember the grandpa because mm. the attack happens later that night. Right. Uh, so, oh yeah, the, the other thing I was saying, I, I kind of got uh, sidetracked with it, but the uh, where Billy is triggered by Santa Claus and sex, uh, Ricky is just triggered by nuns and the color red. <laughs> nuns and the color red and not sex, but... He's triggered by rape. Yeah, kind of. I, I think it's not really even that much of a thing. I, I think that that's sort of uh, that 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 feels overplayed because he uh, I don't know. It, it it feels like him just borrowing that from his brother as a motivation when he is kind of a much more glib and trying to be cool and uh, just above it all killer like he, he's more of a ted bundy type <laughs> mm, okay um, i don't buy him is the thing i don't buy his uh believe his childhood trauma uh quite so much as i buy it from billy because his is so much more secondhand yeah yeah the only thing he's that he actually saw that he got traumatized by was uh his brother dressed up as santa claus getting shot which is why i do buy right. the red Yes, certainly. And the nuns. Oh, and absolutely the nuns. And the nuns is the the best part of it. The the <laughs> him freaking out about the nuns is so funny when they have him as a ten year old. <laughs> They're like the nuns reminded me of something from the Matrix. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> so uh, it, yeah, we we throughout all of the uh, flashbacks, we do have some color commentary. Mostly it's just description, but once in a while we'll cut back to them arguing. So uh, he's like, I don't like your attitude, Mr. Bloom. (laughs) (laughs) And he says, that's not your concern. And like, oh, I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's just a middle school. (laughs) It's like if Bart Simpson grew up and became a serial killer. Yeah. Uh, So he says, well, let's take you back to St. Mary's Orphanage. It's like, I hated that fucking place. And then, yeah, we just have a whole bunch of scenes from the first movie, but most of them not featuring Ricky. No, it's more like all this stuff happened to Billy and Ricky was there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he definitely remembers it, I guess. Uh, it, it's just Billy, you know, he had all of this stuff that he personally saw and that he personally experienced where Ricky just has this nihilistic worldview and had all of this stuff secondhand and then had like there there was a severe trauma, certainly, but it came much later in his development. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it, it just it. <laughs> It doesn't ring true with him, partially because the performance is so goofy. (laughs) Oh, man, his evil laughter during the Garbage Day scene. Absolutely incredible. Some of the best bad evil laughter ever. And (laughs) he was playing it as comedy, so I have to give it to him as intentionally him just being really bad at doing an evil (laughs) laugh, which is ahead of its time, I feel, in 87 in a oh, horror yeah, movie, no. I guess. Yeah, evil laughs were played perfectly straight back then. But but one of the things that really stood out to me in terms of the uh, borrowed trauma is we have a scene of Billy being spanked. 
and then we have Ricky in the present, wincing, remembering yeah. someone else being spanked, not him. Yeah, that, and presumably he wasn't even in the room when this happened, so he's just imagining it and wincing it. Yeah, and he's saying, she was naughty in time with the spanking. And I was like, well, <laughs> you didn't experience it, brother. <laughs> yeah, like, that, that, that's one of the great things about the first movie is it does set up all this stuff. So you completely believe that this messed up guy would go around killing people as Santa Claus. It's like, yes, I understand why this man would do this thing. Yes, it, it is a carefully built movie to explain why he would do just that one thing. <laughs> yeah, whereas Ricky just kind of felt like it, I guess. He's just a copycat killer. <laughs> he's a nihilist. He, he thinks he's so cool. <laughs> uh, I'm going to get the principal... Uh, I'm going to kill the principal of the school, man. <laughs> that bitch principal superior. Right. So th this is where he says to the shrink how, you know, you know the, you're the 13th shrink who's tried to get it out of me, man. Uh, and, you know, Bloom's, well, that's my lucky number. <laughs> well, it seems to be because he's getting the information just fine. I, I, it seems to just be flowing, no problem. Uh, very funny interchange. Is it, do you dream, Ricky? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I don't sleep. I don't sleep. Like, mm, bravo. Amazing. Very cool. You're the coolest. Yeah, Chuck Norris doesn't sleep either, man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He just waits. <laughs> that is really dreams yeah he, he just lifts weights um th th apparently he came to set with just a big set of weights like he had them <laughs> brought with him and that's what he did between takes he was just always pumping iron <laughs> so he was more focused on his image than his lines much like the director i guess so it's it's wild how these things come about it's it, the the way these sort of iconic performances sort of emanate out of the ether yeah it some of it reminds me of like the oh god oh man seed and some of the other stuff and tough guys don't dance like just making what should have been mistakes and then just making it work and just making it awesome yeah uh, and I, th this is what I love about weird exploitation cinema is that you watch it in isolation and you just sort of appreciate it as its own piece of art, as how it accidentally works, even if it's just accidental. And you just mm -hmm. sort of roll with that narrative of the movie and it makes it a lot more entertaining to watch. Oh, yeah. Uh, so uh, he remembers Billy working at the toy store, which is totally <laughs> impossible because Billy died before he ever saw him again after working at the toy store. Yeah, he wouldn't have heard about the toy store and he definitely didn't go there. No, because it literally begins with the stuff with him as Santa, because obviously that's the important stuff. Oh yeah, the movie had like him at the toy store living a happy life for a little bit, that's right. On the warm side of the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On the warm side of the door. 
yeah just so like none of it ricky could have been told because it's all like the day of him or like the couple days of him as santa claus uh which you know that's when he went on his rampage ricky never saw him again maybe he read about it in a newspaper or listened to it in a true crime podcast (laughs) (laughs) it's too early yeah i don't know it's just none of it makes sense i mean it's so secondhand and then of course there is the part later on where we see him seeing the first movie so <laughs> yeah. that that's another layer uh in in the still um so where am i here sorry uh it, it has the whole crime spree of course billy's crime spree as his santa slasher which rules but mm-hmm. uh, it cuts all of the blood out you know, whatever i guess Sure. Uh, but it even has like that cutaway sequence of the cops arresting that dad who's a Santa. Yeah, that's. that's a, <laughs> they that just did... like the scene clearly. <laughs> Must be because that makes no sense in the context of this story being told. Even if we already accept that nothing else makes sense. Well, the other one that really gets me is it has all of the lead up to him killing the bullies with the sled oh yeah (laughs) there's just the whole conversation between the bullies and the guys with the sled and him taking the sled away and like there is no one who could have possibly told him this stuff (laughs) so uh ricky like the the thing is like what galls me about the the cops arresting the dad santa is that ricky has color commentary about that specifically and it's like (laughs) you're highlighting this thing that he couldn't have known about because why would that be on in the news report even it was just some random guy oh yeah they they wouldn't especially since they didn't even arrest him they just showed up in his thing it's like hey no i'm I'm the girl's dad and they're like okay well let's go yeah (laughs) and ricky Daddy almost got his present early. Like, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? Uh, and about the bullies when he chops the bully's head off with, when he's going down the the, the 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 mountain on the sled, which rules great. Yeah. Uh, of course, they cut it, but you know. Uh, and Billy hated bullies. Like, do you think he'd like you a whole lot, Ricky? <laughs> yeah. Um, I. I don't think so. I think actually Billy would think that Ricky is naughty. I believe he thoroughly would. Uh, Ricky, you're good, Doc, but I could squash you like a bug. <laughs> <laughs> and he uh, blooms. You don't scare me. And he, you know, he starts eyebrow acting at him. He's like, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> I guess eventually he does murder him in this office, but we don't even get to see that. No, because he keeps talking afterwards to the corpse. Yeah, it's it's a reveal, a shocking reveal, I guess. <laughs> so, like, they they reasonably do make an effort to show most of the final sequence kind of quasi from Ricky's point of view. So it's it's only stuff that's like within the orphanage. Uh, and th- the only stuff outside is the stuff that he was personally outside for, because he saw the priest get shot, too. Right. Oh, yeah. That whole thing about uh, the uh, the priest dressing up the as Santa. The deaf priest. Yeah. Yeah. Which it, Loomis warned about this. Loomis totally warned about this. And, it, you know, it, it goes bad for Ben Tramer in Halloween, too. But 
this is one of the other things that makes me question Ricky's motives uh, and his his claimed motives, rather, uh, in that he he saw this priest get gunned down in front of him. uh, And I don't think that bothered him because he has this uh, trigger fear of nuns. Uh, and religion in general, uh, even though he, you know, he saw a priest get gunned down. So the the thing about it being caused by his brother getting gunned down, you know, later that same day in exactly the same way, I, like, I don't know. It, it feels more of like an excuse to me. Yeah, like, why did why did Ricky hate the orphanage so much? Did did he get spanked? And we don't see it. We don't hear about it. He doesn't talk about it. What happened to Ricky there besides this one day? He hated it there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, was Mother Superior... Like, she was there, but was she just like a normal bitch to him? I mean, she seems like just a, a hellish bitch to everybody. So, I mean, that that much is... Uh, consistent and I get that he still wants to get revenge on her and as an audience surrogate we want to get revenge on her we're we're glad that she's finally been dealt with oh yeah that was like the biggest thing I didn't like about the first one is that she lives through it totally Uh, and I guess one other thing that uh, is that that is also to the detriment of this movie and the way the scenes from the previous movie are shown in it is a much lower quality synth score in this version. Oh yeah. <laughs> so the the ultimate thing is, and I think it's the one thing that's consistent between the two, or at least in terms of the way they're portrayed for motivation. And certainly for Billy, when you become Santa Claus, you have to just keep on punishing the naughty until someone stops you. Yeah, yeah, that's basically. That basically seems to be how it goes, at least for Billy, because the he's yeah, he doing never what stops. Santa does. Yeah, you, you you gotta do Santa's business. So Ricky gets adopted by a Jewish family, the Rosenbergs. <laughs> they, they didn't mess with all that Christmas crap. No, they did not get involved with Christmas. <laughs> oh, that's what it was. Yeah. So we are. 40 minutes into the movie, and that is where we start getting into this movie. Uh, that, that's the end of our recap of the first movie. <laughs> <laughs> the longest previously on Dragon Ball Z ever. Oh, unbelievable. Like, imagine if the first 40 minutes of Friday the 13th Part 2 were Jason remembering the events of Part 1, sort of like re-edited from his perspective. <laughs> I'm just picturing him like in a room with with his hockey mask and everything, <laughs> and like some doctor there is like, yeah. So drowning sucked. Uh, my mom didn't take it well when I died. Yeah, I, I, I it's I I don't know how you'd have Jason because I figure he'd have to be in the shack uh, on the shores of Crystal Lake and just him. Uh, having mommy tell it to him, just her severed head on the altar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so my favorite bit with him as at 10 years old with the Rosenbergs is when he's downtown shopping with his mom for Christmas and he has an anxiety attack because there are two nuns walking down the street and going in and out of stores. <laughs> They're going door to door. What are they doing? Collecting their vig. <laughs> uh, must be, but 
they are something about the way they're shot. They they feel like Matrix nuns, even though the Matrix, as far as I know, doesn't have nuns. Well, I think it's partially because they're doing that uh, uh, chanting music, like da 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> Because we're seeing it from his perspective and him like, oh, my God, nuns, this is absolutely terrifying. He's like, mom, mom. It's like, what? <laughs> nuns, you you lived in an orphanage with nuns every day of your life. Suddenly you're terrified seeing a nun? That doesn't uh, make any sense. <laughs> Kid, uh, you have a plot hole in your life. Well, you see, the thing, okay, so, uh, um... Well, because he also sees some red fabric in in the midst of this. I don't recall exactly how it co- plays into this. I think it's hanging in a shop window. He's like, there's some red fabric. And it's like his fear of nuns merges into becoming Santa Claus again somehow. But that's their half-assed version of the whole movie doing an hour establishing the psychological profile is that he had this brother with a psychological profile and then, you know, you could put two and two together. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he, uh, he inherited the stuff, even though the son's, even though Billy's psychological profile was all nurture and not nature. Yeah. So five years later, his stepdad dies. Uh, obviously he has to marry the stepmom and then becomes a famous composer Oh, man. <laughs> he could conduct with just his eyebrows. He really could. Oh, that would be tremendous. <laughs> Doesn't even need to use the baton. Just... <laughs> <laughs> I, I love... Uh, th- this is him at 15 when he has the frosted tips, which are great. <laughs> uh, and he's just... It, it, it's like a, an additional thing with Strangler versus Strangler. He's a Rashomon in this. He's observing a couple from the bushes. Oh, he is doing that. <laughs> it's not until, it's actually not until he's, it's not so much the rape that triggers him here, although he does flash back to it, but he sees the color red of the Jeep. Yes. Which uh, the, the red is always really key. I bet if this guy like grew up to be older, he would get the worst road rage every time. Red light. <laughs> well, it's also just bullshit. Oh, I, I think bullshit. all of it's bullshit. You know, I think even the rape is bullshit because it kind of comes across as bullshit. The the way like all of it, we're getting it strictly from his perspective, and I don't think we're getting a realistic uh, telling of the tale. No, no, like. He doesn't he's, remember the rape. No, and he's Stark weather esque. It's him talking about his comic books with knives. You know, it's it's <laughs> him, uh, like, oh well, we were wrestling for the gun. Uh, not, I just <laughs> shot him in the fucking head because you know he was a cop. Yeah. Uh, so we have this guy Eddie, and his girlfriend. Uh, and he's just like drinking a shitty beer and they're sort of kissing and she says eddie you're such a pig he's like <laughs> and swigs the beer and is like yeah you like that about me huh uh anyway i'm gonna rape you now well that's the thing do you think that's really uh realistic that they're hanging out on a picnic blanket in uh, a faraway meadow and like oh and he definitely attacked her and that's why i did it Oh, and she definitely thanked me afterward, and everybody oh. clapped. Yeah, it, it was it was so nice. 
because uh, so yeah he quote unquote flashes back to uh the the thing with his mom uh in the when he was a baby that he could not possibly remember yeah there's still a way but he's not only yeah, because no. yeah not only because he was a baby but because he was physically not present i think he was hidden under a bush next to the road at that point so I, I think so. <laughs> there's, there's problems with his story uh, on on multiple levels. So he says naughty. That's really the key thing. Naughty. <laughs> I think he I think he was the actual sociopath, and all of this stuff with Billy is an excuse. Oh, completely. Because uh, not only does he, he, the guy sort of starts to uh, force himself on her, but then she kicks him in the balls. And he's just like, all right, all right. And he just leaves to go get beer from the Jeep. I love for the whole rest of the time that he's alive, he is realistically acting like a man who's been kicked in the balls. Yes. (laughs) That's dedication to the bit. This movie, I wouldn't expect it to go that far, but it does. Yeah, he, he trundles over there. Ricky teleports into the front seat. Just There's no other way to put it. He has clearly just teleported there. Because you couldn't... From the camera angles, you can see that the doors don't open. Yeah, and you can see that he just was not there a second previous. And he's just <laughs> there. He honks the horn to startle Eddie. I love this scene, though. He... He runs him over and he's just going back and forth and back and forth and just watching the Jeep going back and forth from like far away. (laughs) It's pretty funny. Well, because, of course, they can't show it close up. They can't have it gory. So it's just him uh, going over and over, over, you know, bumps. So we just know he's running over the guy. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, that's when she comes up and says, thank you. Sure she did. Uh, Everybody on the bus stood up and applauded. He cartwheeled out of there. Uh, And I I really love, it cuts back to Dr. Bloom's notepad where he's got red car and huge block letters and like a box around it. (laughs) This is like one of my... (laughs) This is like one of my favorite lines in the whole thing. (laughs) I like, especially because the doctor has been like putting this box around it and completely unaware of anything happening around him. And he suddenly looks up and realizes that no one's talking and Ricky isn't there. (laughs) Foreshadowing for how easily he gets so absolved, absorbed into his thing that he could just get strangled without realizing. Yeah. uh, Cause Ricky has snuck up behind him or teleported. Yeah. He says, going too fast for you doc and then he looks at the he he does a huge take of him looking at the pad just like a a big face move like red car good point (laughs) why isn't that the popular one that's a very good one i i just love the way he delivers everything like he's a wrestler doing a promo (laughs) that's super what it uh, reminds me of uh, he delivers it more wrestlerly than the actual wrestler in uh, our next movie, I find. That's true. Although that's a different style. That's the oh, lucha. True. <laughs> true, true. I'm not. It, it, there's so much. There's enough overlap that I that I keep yeah. thinking it's the same. Yeah, it's it's they're they're related cultures, but the 
it's it's much more intense in, in Lucha, and, and there there's so much more built into the kayfabe. Mm-hmm. But uh, I I like him asking about the doctor's life just so he can find a way that he can do another one liner to get back into his story because he asks him about. Uh, his wife or his kids and he's like i i'm widowed we never had any children uh the two of us met in college you know he's he's just looking for an opening that's like my old lady couldn't afford to send me to college so i had to get a job and <laughs> just his eyebrows doing calisthenics off of his forehead you know <laughs> you know the the way he says the word job with such it's contempt. incredible i feel that bro yeah just just a a perfect emoji angry face had to get a job so i got a job (laughs) amazing amazing my day at the bus terminal really paid off (laughs) so he's working as a dishwasher and he sees this guy getting pressured for some sort of I, i guess it's a loan shark trying to get some money back from this dude yeah, it's a it's a loan shark deal. Yeah, it's a, it sounded like a squirrel getting his nuts squeezed. What? <laughs> Did it? Squirrels actually sound kind of horrifying. Yeah. Uh, so the, there's just this whole lengthy sequence of this guy getting beat up by this enforcer, which is just him watching it and thinking it's funny. So it doesn't really matter. Uh, oh. And and then there's the red handkerchief, and suddenly he's triggered. Oh yeah, it's like now I got to fight this naughty guy. Yeah, and he does a real wrestling move because after he just knocks him over into some garbage, which is kind of funny, he <laughs> does the choke slam. He picks him up by the throat like he's the fucking Undertaker. Mm-hmm. Oh, and like the intensity of which he reaches for the umbrella. Well, also, the guy is punching him in the face, full force, and he's a, kind of a huge guy, uh, and he's just shrugging it off completely. He has become Jason, just force of will, <laughs> or, you know, force of him doing his myth-making storytelling. Oh, yeah, and then he kept punching me and punching me, and he was a mafia guy, but I didn't feel it. I picked him up like I was the Undertaker, and there was this old umbrella nearby, and I punched it straight through him. Because real umbrellas are sharp, and you can do that. And then it immediately started raining. <laughs> so cool. Everybody clapped. Yeah. I, I, I just the, the umbrella going through him and opening and spraying gore is really <laughs> fucking great. It's too bad that they had to cut down the gore of that sequence, too. It really is, but it it's still a great sequence. It's like a red and white good. umbrella that's all red by the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the part that apparently is a totally new confession. Dr. Bloom's like, this is new. Nobody's ever mentioned. You've never mentioned this to anyone before. Is this a crime that's on the books? Like, when someone says something like that, don't you feel like it's got to be a, a hand of God kind of situation where it's like, hey, are you making this shit up? Because you just said you undertaker to guy and you put a <laughs> you put a uh, an umbrella through him. I feel like I would have heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been that would have made some headlines somewhere. Yeah. 
So he, the the doctor mops his brow with a with his handkerchief. He's like, well, I, I guess we're uh, the, this is very exciting. I I think I have a book deal. I'm going to be done for the day. But Ricky <laughs> has just started ranting, so it, it kind of keeps him there. Well, the uh, the interesting thing is the doc. Uh, I just noticed this the second time watching. The doc noticed that his handkerchief is embroidered with a red letter B. Yep. That he like tries to put away before Ricky sees it, and Ricky, by the way, the film is edited, should not have seen it, but no. he definitely did though. But the camera saw it. Yes, which means uh, yeah. Ricky saw it. Yeah, his his monogrammed B while he's mopping his brow, uh, but and Ricky's ranting. He heals punishment, and the doctor throws back at him, discipline. <laughs> and the Ricky, you're really starting to get to me, Doc. <laughs> so close. It's like, is that it is, is it, he's saying that he's close or is that he's bothered by him? I don't even know what he's trying to uh, communicate at this point. Because him always being like, ah, I'm never going to tell you anything, dog. Anyway, here's everything I have to tell you, dog. <laughs> I, I think he saw in a movie somewhere a really cool, badass person saying, you really started to get to me. <laughs> and he just wanted yeah. an excuse to use it. Like a, a a friend of ours, her kid, when he was really little, they're, they're just like finding random crap along the beach and just picking up stuff and uh, calling them clues. And like, this case is really starting to come together. I'm like, <laughs> the case of the seaweed? Yeah, cool. <laughs> cool. You got it. Uh, so the doctor, uh, Bloom, he asks about Jennifer. He brings out that picture of her. He's like, eat shit. I'm done no. talking now. <laughs> and uh, this is my my favorite moment of eyebrow acting in the movie because they bring out the photo and he looks at it and he's like, she's the only thing I ever cared about. And one eyebrow just slowly raises confused like a dog. <laughs> like hmm. the sad eyebrow acting, it's the, the one one and only moment of it. It's funny, too, that he's like, she's the only thing I cared about. And it feels and it looks like they only went on maybe three dates. Yeah. And they seem sort of weird because on one of them, he kills someone in the background. Yeah. Um, and she doesn't really call him out on that. She doesn't notice it. Uh, <laughs> well, like first their meet cute is we cut to him basically as James Hurley. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go off and like go into a different town and do my own story that has nothing to do with you guys. And I'm going to take up so much screen time away from you. I'm going to go have my own neo-noir adventure. So yeah, he's, he's in his leather. He's got his bike in the parking lot and she runs into him. And it's lucky she's hot because she might've got punished then and there. Otherwise, honestly, oh, yeah, she, she laughed at this guy whose motorcycle she ran into his bike and knocked him over and she just laughs. Yeah. And then it, it's just immediately them having this romantic montage of them motorcycling around uh, Griffith Park. And he's like, I never wanted to lose her. What a weird delivery of that line. The, the, <laughs> the number of emphases. <laughs> if you emphasize every word, you'll know it's all important. Yeah, I never wanted to lose her. What? 
There's a very long sex scene, and he's kind of an insult about it. It's like, it's, it was my first time. I thought it was Jennifer's, too. Because that's what really triggers him, is that she's oh, yes. not a virgin later. Mm-hmm. Especially, yeah, because we meet her ex. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, that guy is hilarious. <laughs> so they they go to the this movie theater and just the heaviest scare quotes you could possibly imagine. It's like there's six seats and <laughs> it's like a little gray screening room for uh you know if you work in like a trailer production company or something. <laughs> Yeah, or like the the rooms that the people from the movie censor uh, watch their movies in. Yeah, I think it's exactly that sort of thing. It's a screening room and clearly not an actual public movie theater. No. But, there, you know, there there's a trailer for something called Chaos, which is just, you know, uh, explosions and gunshots and stuff. Ricky's pretty hyped by it. And there's this really obnoxious guy in the back row. Oh, man, this movie sucks. One of those guys throwing popcorn. Just doing all sorts of annoying shit. <laughs> Along with it. There's this weird moment. Where, so they're obviously like it's a tiny little theater and they're way too close together. So everybody can hear everybody else. Yeah. And the, the girlfriend is like, I really like you, Ricky. You're different. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's just, and he says, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, <laughs> what do you know? What does she feel? I thought does none of that. Those are not words. Those don't mean anything. <laughs> if I say, I know what she, I saw in a movie once where like someone said, I love you. And the guy said, I know. And it was real cool. Maybe I could like work that in here. Well, she's not saying I love you, but you know, it's, it feels like a movie made by a video nasty censor in in a way, you know, like it's this is what happens when someone consumes too much media and and they've cut out like carefully cut out all the gore around the kills, but they have to have the kills to make the money. But just everything about the line. I really like you, Ricky. You're different. I don't know what it is <laughs> like. I don't know if you're saying these things are good or saying they're bad. And like, why are you saying I really like you, but I'm confused about it. It's sort of weird, right? Yeah. Ricky? And uh, fucking back row guy says, go ahead, Studley. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and then they don't kiss because, you know, this dude's like staring at him and he's like, OK, faggot. Of <laughs> course. Just... <laughs> yeah. He's got to drop one. Yeah, she's like, well, we know that's not true, do we? Uh, I Well, no, we do, because he says he had his first time. We see that long sex scene, unless, oh, sure, know, again, but... that's totally made up, right? Or Could be, know, I don't he, know. Could, he might still be gay, and he just had sex with a girl. Maybe. That's the thing that happens. Sure, but the this is where they're watching Silent Night, Deadly Night. The movie has started. <laughs> We're watching the start of the movie, and I absolutely love this bit that makes it like really tied into the first movie because we're watching the first movie and she describes it. She says, Oh, it's great. It's about this guy who dresses up like Santa Claus and kills people. Ricky's what? <laughs> That's one of the legendary what's along with the Tom Cruise and eyes wide shut. Oh, outstanding. What? 
<laughs> you, how? Who would make a movie about that? Well, it doesn't I even seem think. to be that. It, it's what? Because he's into it. And of course, it, it's also we're not done with clips. Let's watch some more clips <laughs> from the first movie. Oh, oh yeah, this is, this is from when the, the the guy at the beginning of the first movie before he did the rape murder, right? Yeah, it's it's the original Santa Claus who uh, uh, started the whole thing. Amazing that Ricky didn't recognize him. Well, of course, but it does make him go into punish mode. Yes. And he goes after the heckler. <laughs> he teleports uh, to where the guy sitting beside him was. Yeah, the guy sitting beside him was the director, Lee Harry. Oh. <laughs> just, just him doing his cameo. Yeah, he's just in his space when, you know, he turns around and he's still talking. Then he looks back and Ricky's there. And then, you know, they're brawling. But we don't see him killing the guy. You know, he does. Yeah, we just see, like, feet being kicked up behind the the seats and popcorn go flying. Right, because it cuts forward, too, because somehow more people have shown up in this screening room. Because <laughs> Chip shows up. Oh, this fucking guy. <laughs> Uh, Chip, he has crazy 80s hair. It's green, but partially bleached on top. Uh, he looks like every new wave bully. Like he, he's a guy in the new wave bully gang, but not the main guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he, he talks like, he talks like a surfer dude and his mouth is always like wide open. He always looks like he's about to cry. Yeah, and because he's trying to get her back, even though he has another girlfriend with him there. <laughs> yeah, well, she's just keeping me warm while I wait for you, babe. Oh, Roxanne, uh, you know, she's just waiting. It's fine. She and gets a little impatient, though. <laughs> it's like, I have a date. You mean Kong? Is he housebroken? I wish there was someone I could high-five right now. I don't have friends. <laughs> Uh, so Ricky reappears after having killed the heckler guy and uh, somehow just is totally oblivious of Chip. But uh, <laughs> somehow, <laughs> uh, even though Chip somehow. have to be like sitting right next to them now. They're, yeah, it's such a tiny place. Uh, and she's like, I, I think we should just leave. He's like, no, I'm beginning to like this picture. <laughs> yeah she should have left so begins they're out walking and he's wearing this familiar cable knit blue sweater and like the first time any of us have seen this movie at this point in time like if you've not seen this movie before when you see that sweater you see him out walking in some suburban neighborhood and like Hmm, what day is this today? <laughs> what today? So today is garbage day. <laughs> and they're they're walking down the street and they happen upon somehow Chip, who's fixing his red Mustang. <laughs> I'm just gonna come out here with my red Mustang where I know my ex-girlfriend's gonna be walking, and I'm gonna be like pretending to fix it and then she'll take me back. Yeah. Probably. He's- I guess he's he he starts to taunt Ricky about having uh, slept with Jennifer in the past. Uh, it's 
I, I can't remember how he starts it, but it's it's something stupid and crass. And then Ricky just eyebrows just just a going, working overtime. Uh, that's enough. That's enough. <laughs> and uh, of course, Chip throws in a "That's what she said," and kaboom! <laughs> R- Ricky hits punish mode again. Oh, I love this one. He takes the cable or the clamp from the battery charger <laughs> and hooks it up to Chip's tongue. Yeah, to his teeth. Oh, his, his teeth. teeth and his eyes fucking explode out of his sunglasses. A pretty nice effect, honestly. The best kill effect in the movie by far. Oh, for sure. But she didn't say thank you. Oh, yeah, she didn't get it. She's like, what? I, I, I don't... Like, I, I, I expected you to uh, be totally into me killing this guy in this horrifying, insane way. Yeah. It's like his his response is totally it, she starts to criticize and it, it's him immediately turning her into Mother Superior because she has criticized him in any way. Oh, yeah. And you can see him doing this in his head as he's blinking and like shaking his head like what? This uh, definitely reminds me of Mother Superior. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. It's the whole free speech. Like, well, that's not free speech isn't freedom from the consequences of your speech. Yeah. And or the consequences of your actions in this case. So, yeah, he 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 does. He does the punish and <laughs> her. Uh oh. Uh, her her <laughs> kind of comedic to camera. Uh oh. Realizing that he's. And yeah, he pulls the antenna off the Mustang and strangles her. Zoinks, I gotta get out of here. It's totally a comedic take. It's a very weird bit because the movie's mostly played it kind of straight, but not really. I mean, there, there's it's it's walked a strange line all the way because everybody's sort of just untethered, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I, we didn't talk much about it, but I love the goofy expressions of the the lone shark. Oh yeah, that, <laughs> before that he dies, he plays it pretty big. Yeah. So the the rent a cop shows up. <laughs> I got a gun. I know how to use it. Freeze, asshole! He's a scrawny, tiny little dude who is, is gun is is definitely his penis. Like, oh yeah. He's he's holding it out in front far and Ricky just turns it around on him and shoots him in the head. It's not a bad effect. <laughs> uh, then the scary music starts playing the do 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 do. He he has like he's smiling and he's laughing. We we have a shot of him like rising from below screen cuz he's picked up the gun and he's looking at it and laughing. <laughs> <laughs> It's like if Tommy Wiseau were doing an evil laugh. <laughs> yeah, it's it's along those lines. And the the spree becomes mobile. This is sort of the great sequence of the movie, him just on his neighborhood spree. There's just some random person comes out screaming. Hey, what the hell is all that noise? <laughs> and he and immediately fucking shot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Motherfucker. Motherfucker. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. 
Uh, <laughs> or the Austin Powers scene where, like, they don't know when to stop laughing and they just have to turn it back on whenever Dr. Eva laughs. It's like that, yeah. So then, hey, what do you know? Someone's putting their trash cans down on the curb. What do you think's going on over here? <laughs> I love that, like, when he moves the trash can uh, to the side of the camera, you see the guys, st- you see Ricky standing there. <laughs> The guy would have seen him the whole time. Ricky is just standing at the end of his lawn with a fucking pistol. Yeah. But the camera didn't see it until we moved the fucking garbage cans out of the way. Like He didn't teleport. He was always there. No, and just so garbage day as a moment is perfect. And I get why it's so big, partially because the eyebrow acting for this moment is just the eyebrows are just pump and iron. They're a going the whole time. He's saying garbage day, <laughs> garbage day. And, and it's got like this super like pumping intense, like scary music in the background. <laughs> no, no, no. <sighs> The guy falls over in slow motion into his trash. (laughs) 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 And then there's this little girl who runs into on a tricycle and it's sort of a repetition of the bit in the first one where Billy gave the little girl the uh, box cutter. Obviously much less intense. (laughs) She just hits him and he's like, excuse me, mister. I think that's okay. But the girl was wearing red though. Why is she alive? No, because, you know, it didn't trigger him because uh, yeah. you know, she she was polite to him. She didn't criticize him. Oh, yeah, she didn't. Imp- uh, she, yeah. It, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> so then a car is coming down the street. This is a pretty great stunt. Oh, yeah, I saw that. I had to, like, fast or uh, rewind because barely missed him. Holy shit. Yeah, it, it misses him by inches. He just steps out of the way of it because he shoots at it and it hits the radiator and there's like some road work on the side that they put it up on two wheels. And yeah, it just barely misses him. It's it's a stunt person who yeah. steps out of the way. The yeah. only stunt person they had. They had one stunt person. This is a one week shoot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he steps out of the way. Of course, it lands, explodes. I just made my last payment. <laughs> So then, you know, his his spree continues. It's just him continuing to walk around laughing villainously. <laughs> just looking at his gun. <laughs> admiring the gun the whole time, of course. Yeah. Uh, and he just wanders up to a police barricade. He's like, oh, how, how about that? What the heck? Oh, yeah, I guess I've been killing all these people. All that stuff I did. <laughs> They're like, drop the gun. Drop it now. Yeah, that's a weird moment because, like, he's going to shoot himself and they're like, no, no, it's not worth it. I don't think they would say that at all. Well, <laughs> he he just shot a cop. Yeah, he just shot a cop. He well, would be dead. Rent a cop. He shot a rent a cop. Maybe it's different. Yeah. There, there's not there's there's a lot of internist and jealousy between these departments. Oh, yeah, maybe. So no more bullets. Young and stupid. That was my problem. <laughs> and just th- this is where he goes into big speech mode because it's just him uh, performing for the tape recorder, having already killed Dr. Bloom. Well, it's going to be a, it's him doing the whole speech before we theatrically reveal it. So I have the whole speech kids, and the whole time eyebrows just fucking rotating off his head into space. <laughs> it's like, 
and it's a shame they stopped me before I did what I had to do. (laughs) And then, like, he takes a really dramatic drag off the cigarette and is like, but hey, that's life. And he puts out the cigarette on Jennifer's picture, and it zooms back to reveal Dr. Bloom has been strangled to death with tape from the tape recorder. (laughs) I think that he's dead because he's the first psychiatrist to use a tape recorder like that. Maybe. And the other ones left the orderly in the room. Yeah, I mean, that that seems pretty key. And weren't, like, extremely rude to the orderly, so he's not going to maybe hurry in if he hears another disturbance. Because we didn't uh, see it happen or hear it happen. No, no, I'm sure it's like strangling noises and it's like, well, Doc will just tell me to get out again. I don't feel like getting yelled at. I guess so. And and then we just hear him off screen uh, cutting through the guards somehow, like question marks. He's a Terminator. Yeah, he's he, he's gone full Undertaker. He escapes. Mm-hmm. And Where could he be going? Who who could know? Uh, please call the nice nun, who's just a variation. Of, like she's, I think, supposed to be the the character who was uh, helpful to Billy in the first one, but it's not the same actress or anything. Yeah, it, it's Sister Mary, and I didn't realize it was supposed to be Sister Mary at first because yeah. she, they didn't even get someone who looked a little bit like her. No, it's just another nun who is agreeable, and yeah. she says that. Mother Superior had a stroke, I think. That's what and she the, says, yep. It looks like she was in a fire. Yeah, she's had a lot more than a stroke, I think. Like Life hasn't the, been good to her. The side of her face looks all burnt up. It doesn't look like she had a stroke. It looks like she was touched by the fires of hell, like Freddy Krueger. It, it looks like uh, she's going to flip a coin to decide whether or not she's going to kill Batman. Yeah, yeah, except, like, she's dressed as a creepy old nun. So, you know, a crossover yeah. between the nun and Two-Face. The nun face. <laughs> there is no Santa Claus. So she's retired. She lives alone. Uh, and we we see Ricky kill a Salvation Army Santa and take his costume off, off screen. But, you know, yeah. we see the guy pressed up against... Uh, the phone booth because Ricky has to call Mother Superior to let her know he's coming. Mm-hmm. And he, and they're like, the cop makes this whole thing like, well, he'd have to find her first. She's in the phone book. She's in the phone book. Although, he's, what's she under? Is she under Superior, comma Mother? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> most evil lady in the town. She's at 666 satan boulevard or some bullshit i don't oh know oh my god she is at 666 She's, yeah her her door number is 666 very over the top <laughs> so like as he's killing the salvation army santa he's laughing and humming jingle bells which is pretty fun <laughs> of course we suddenly get really Christmassy all of a sudden it's like oh yeah, yeah this is a christmas movie we got to do some christmas iconography shit yeah i think do we get snow though i don't recall no, it's it's not snowing. It's just a SoCal Christmas. Uh, and he he phones the Mother Superior from the phone booth with, like, the body of the other guy pressed up against the outside. And he says, Santa's back. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time, I'm just imagining Mother Superior being like, all the shit I've been through and this bullshit's going to be what kills me. Pretty lame. 
and but she is just such a troll like she is just one of these far-right people like she doesn't even care about him calling her she's watching this christmas parade and she's pissing and moaning like oh this is sacrilegious this is idolatry they're celebrating christmas the wrong way <laughs> is it the same woman i couldn't no, tell I because of the heavy the heavy I'm, makeup i'm fairly certain they did not get anybody back it's, okay. it's all just uh new people that were available <laughs> i think only one other person acts in other things other than eric freeman uh the the psychiatrist i don't think other people are in stuff so, <laughs> so there's uh outside in the road there's this electric santa toy out in the street and i totally had this one or my family had this when i was a kid oh <laughs> the, the the one that like is motorized and it rings the bell and plays this really uh loud tune of course ricky comes in and chops it yeah with his axe yeah so mother superior is at a door marked 666 <laughs> do you think the other nuns moved her to this particular apartment as revenge for being such a bitch i mean it could be uh, it could just be that she's fucking evil uh she's so like she she's got all that burned face and it's, that's not from a stroke but we're using the excuse that it's a stroke i assume it's some sort of the devil's situation the devils of ludon you know oh yeah yeah so Ricky comes through, uh, basically, you know, the, he does the shining thing. He, he, he chops through the door. He, he does this a couple times. Yeah. Uh, it's it's just a lot of him chasing her around the house. And she's just in a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah, she's like frantically running away. <laughs> just like well, terrified. She's going all, all over the house, but he's kind of just chopping things and yelling, Ha! Ha! <laughs> yeah, chops it's not so much that he's looking for her. No, he's just he's just stirring up shit. Yeah, and you know he he gets her upstairs because you know she uses the the wheelchair lift to get up to the top, and she dodges his axe and then falls back down the stairs. He gets his axe stuck in the wheelchair of all things. That's really absurd. Yeah, he because she misses or he he misses her with the axe and just gets stuck in the leather of the seat. Sure, sure. Uh, she crawls to the kitchen to get a big knife. Yeah, um, won't help. Well, her thing is she's like trying to call him out for some reason. She thinks she can mind game him somehow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it might have worked if it was Billy. Maybe. It's like, you're weak, just like your brother. Face me. I am your mother superior. Uh, she's like, you have to take your punishment. He's like, no more punishment. <laughs> and he says, you are being very, very naughty. And his final line to her uh, is, of course, naughty this. <laughs> <laughs> epic, epic, naughty this. <laughs> and chops her head off of course yeah yeah smash cut to the cops arriving with uh, the young nun sister mary yeah why is show. she there i don't know <laughs> is she gonna be able to like reach out uh maybe maybe uh, doesn't seem like it well she's got to see something horrifying so maybe she can become the killer next time you got to keep your options open oh, who knows yeah. what you're gonna do with one of these horror sequels good point good point like the red car and somehow the nun 
is at the table. They, Ricky has posed her body with the head back on it, and there's no blood. No at blood. All. Not a drop. <laughs> Did he, like, change her out of her, that nun outfit into a different nun outfit? I mean, he would have had to, but it's perfectly cut off, so I don't know. It's just magic. He he magicked yeah. it. Oh, sure. Because her, her head just falls off bloodlessly, and they're like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Dead nun. Uh, but <laughs> Ricky jumps out and just says, boo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had to... I, I like I, I I had to rewind and like did he literally just jump out and say boo for, <laughs> like that's actually what the killer does for his final moment in the movie I cannot even believe it yeah not even anything Christmas related this was never about Santa for him <laughs> he just boo and he's shot three times immediately and goes through the door <laughs> keeps trying to throw his axe and it never happens and the nun had fainted, I guess, when the nun, the the older nun's head fell off, and she wakes up and sees it and starts scream. She sees the decapitated head on the floor and screams again. And upon hearing the scream, the uh, apparent corpse of Ricky opens his eyes and smiles. Yeah, he smirks at the camera, knowing that he got in one last good scare. And that is the end. Then we have four minutes of an ultra slow credit crawl. You just really got to stretch it. To, it could get really close to 90 minutes. I'm sure we can get there. Yeah. Yeah. Let's maybe squeeze in another another flashback. Maybe we could do it. No, you know what they do? They do the full credits for both movies <laughs> in slow motion. All of the credits for Silent Night, Deadly Night 1, and then all of the credits for Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2. I, I mean, I got to give them credit. You know, they they really, they, they did a lot. They, they, uh, uh, they, they, they filled it out with all the sawdust they needed. <laughs> so, I don't think that this movie works as a movie, but it's a fun experience. Yeah, it's very enjoyable. It is garbage. It is garbage day. This Christmas, it's garbage day. Uh, but it, it feels kind of recognizing how much it's garbage day. It, it has Ricky as being the glib, fake, uh, put on uh, copycat version of the killer in the first one. They they almost internally recognize that the all of the motivations are out the window. We just want to see him do some really silly kills and have some kind of Christmassy shit surrounding it. And also deal with that Mother Superior, because she shouldn't have gotten out of that voiced movie. No, no, she should not have. <laughs> we got to tie up that loose end. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a pretty good movie. You know, it's it's a good time. It's crap, but it's the right sort of crap. You know, it's, it's a, special crap. It's a lot of fun. The kills, despite not being gory, are visually interesting. I think the Jeep was shot wonderfully. Very creatively done. I do love the Jeep sequence. Uh, uh, everything with uh, Chip is pretty funny. Chip is a very over-the-top character. Yeah, I, I do like when uh, the side characters would all, like, the ones who go rubber face, uh, like like the Lone Shark, uh, Chip, the Rent-A-Cop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, like pretty much everyone does kind of go very over the top. I, I, as said, nobody was being reeled in. The the director was just <laughs> shooting it and getting the shots and the actors were doing their jobs and getting the acting part. Uh, and it isn't going to direct them any one way or another. They they know how to do the acting. He's not an actor. <laughs> Are they, though? Uh, well, I mean, they, they were professionally actors for this film. Oh, well, yeah, I <laughs> so guess. You, they you were hired to play to... those parts. You got paid to act. You're an actor. I mean, I, I did my part of hiring the people for the parts. And now the people play the parts. That's how you do a job. Uh, I, I get it. Like, it's totally the industrial filmmaking approach. It's completely this the kind of stuff that I feel from, like I said, shake hands with danger or uh, <laughs> women in the workplace. <laughs> Something like that. Garbage day. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's but... pretty fun. But yeah, when I when I saw Garbage Day, I was like, wait, that's the context to this? That's it? Okay. It, yeah, it's it's sort of wild. Uh, it, it's in the midst of such a great scene. Like, that scene is all hits. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it is weird that Garbage Day was the thing that took off. I don't... So... Personally, I don't think it's weird. I think that is a perfect encapsulation of everything going on. It's just it really pays to zoom out and see the rest of the scene around it because that whole sequence is incredible. Just so many weird decisions. Like, everything Eric Freeman is doing there. Ooh. Yeah. Spicy meatball. No more bullets. Young and stupid. That was my problem. <laughs> the, it really hits the my. That was my problem. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I I love his Shatnerian uh, halting delivery of some of it too. And like, <laughs> before I did what I had to do. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's a fun thing. It's it's a weird movie. It doesn't feel anywhere near as Christmassy as the first. It no, doesn't have much Christmas stuff around it. Uh, so much of the first one is the atmosphere of just. All of that time spent in the toy store and looking at all those cool fucking 80s toys. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, this character is much less of a character than Billy. Yeah, although it's weird because then he becomes the guy in the rest of the movies. He, like, he ganked the franchise. He's the Jason. <laughs> oh my god, totally is. Well, you can't, bi- can't bring Billy back now. He's He's dead. No, but I mean, how often does that stop a slasher well, franchise? Jason's dead or Ricky's dead. Then yeah. you bring him back. And, and like, oh, he just has a, a, a plate in his head now. And you can see part of his brain through a window. And he's played <laughs> by Clint Howard now. What? Is I that think what? that's one of them. Yeah. <laughs> I, if I recall correctly, it's been years since I watched any of the sequels. But <laughs> oh, my God. I can't I believe there's sequels to this. It's yeah, there's like five movies in this series. I have three through five on the way right now. <laughs> oh my god. Uh yeah, so uh quite a thing. Uh so any last thoughts before we head on to part two? No, I th- I think I think we've covered it. Yeah, I, I like the first one's a much better movie, but this yeah. is wild, fun, and stupid, and I love it. It's but fun. I, it's still an essential watch. Yeah. Just don't try and watch it back to back. You will no. you'll hate it. 
Yeah, it's it's so much better to watch it uh, with some distance from the other one. Uh, come back to Silent Night, Deadly Night 1 after watching this one and enjoy it even more thoroughly because oh. it's got so much more atmosphere. The characterization is so much deeper. The synth score is so much fucking cooler. Oh, yeah, the score in this was... Not, it's chintzy yeah it's it's cheap you know it they it was a one week production <laughs> so yeah. let's let's get it out there on video yeah yeah all right well we'll head on to part two and we're back for part two our first dip into the world of lucha libre with santo contra el doctor muerte or santo versus dr death uh one of Somewhere around the 40th Santo film, I believe I looked it up to be. Now that I've seen one of these, uh, this does feel like it's 40 films into the franchise. It you, There's so much it takes for granted. It really expects you to just kind of roll with the weirdness of Santo right from the beginning. It's like, yeah, this guy just always wears this silver mask. That's just how it is. Uh-huh. Yeah. Nobody will ever question it. No, Uh walking down the street uh, doing his grocery shopping um walking down the street <laughs> he is, he's a wrestler and but he's also an interpol agent but the interpol agent is his sidekick well like the really complicated mythology and the kayfabe of it all which is so elaborate for lucha is that him as a wrestler he is a wrestler and an actor and an Interpol agent. Like he is playing a wrestler who is doing his wrestling sequences that actually happened during the time he was shooting the movie that like he was doing these in like, as if this is behind the scenes stuff that was happening in the background of whatever wrestling arc was going on that maybe you, if you had watched that wrestling season, you could bring to it. Mm. So so this is like uh this is like a really long promo for his fight with whoever. Well like all his fights I guess it sort of feels like if uh during you know attitude era if there had been the rock and stone cold Steve Austin movies where they played those characters. <laughs> oh yeah where they But going like... on expendables adventures or some shit. Yeah, but then they would have to stop and get into the ring uh, yes. four times a movie. Essential. You definitely have to have them fight some local schmo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I forgot to mention director Rafael Romero Marchant. And don't, this is from <laughs> 1973. Uh, so, yeah, really late in the Santos cycle. I think they start in the 50s. So this is deep into the series. Oh, Wow. So I, I kind of feel – I didn't realize it was going on that long. Like I, I knew it was 40 movies because you had told me, but <laughs> I kind of – well, even so, they packed 40 them in. movies in 20 years, that's a yeah. lot. Yeah. I mean the first one, it's not even like the beginning of the 50s. It's early 50s, I think. Uh, I have – I believe the first one coming in the mail as well because – uh, finally, people are starting to release these in proper versions with the original language track. So there's an indicator release of it's called Enter Santo. So it sure sounds like it's the first one. <laughs> Wait, I don't want to get sued. Uh, Santo's going to sprinkle some mud in your eye. Yeah. <laughs> 
this one at first I thought it was going to it was going to be like a James Bond, but it feels a lot more like a like a Batman 66, but with somehow less action. There's not a ton of action, but yeah, it has sort of that 66 feel. It it has I, I guess it's just the comic book feel of the 60s. If you were doing a comic book adaptation, it had this kind of pop art flavor to it. And they all sort of do this. Uh, but I, I would say that it has some James Bond influence. <laughs> and the, <laughs> the the speedboat chase is very James Bondy. This is a couple years after Live and Let Die, which had all of its speedboat chases. Uh, it, it has the uh, it has a Bond villain and it has a James Bond villainous henchman. Although I don't think the henchman is that great, and I don't think the villain's interesting at all. They're a little bland, and I truly have a hard time understanding their scheme. Oh, I most of my notes is me trying to make sense of their scheme. I think I might have it now i've watched the movie a few times but this scheme is complicated and it really feels like somebody just mad-libbed an evil an evil plot it's supremely confusing and like i've watched it twice you've watched it twice and we were talking about it while you were watching it the first time and it sort of put a few things together for me that it's a really weird riff on color me blood red or bucket of blood it's a uh, or Blood Delirium, which I covered a couple weeks ago, which I, I watched, where it's just a, a painter trying to find just the right paint, and it's got to be human blood. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. that. That's basically what this ends up being. I didn't even realize that after watching it twice. It took you watching it and talking about it with me for me to realize it had anything to do with that concept. Well, the human experimentation stuff is introduced... Uh, but is always kept completely off to the side until the very end when he explains it, what it is, and like, and he goes over it so fast. It's so weird how this whole introduction of uh, these women slaves that are being used for medical experimentation, it just, it's this whole extra dimension that comes out of nowhere. It's like fucking... Uh, the boss introducing the mafia into our biker story. Like, where is this coming from? Yeah, that's basically what it is. And he didn't, the villain didn't have to do all the murder. He could, and so if he got caught, he would just be an art thief. Oh, by the way, Dr. (laughs) Death uh, Death. is an art guy. He's an art for crime. He's an art forger and an art thief. He steals art and then he puts out his own forgeries in their place. And he has to use the blood of women to do it for reasons. Uh, I couldn't put it together. Oh, well, there's a chemical compound in the tumors that they grow when he injects them with a different chemical (laughs) compound. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But that chemical compound... Oh man. Okay. What is the adrenochrome you see? You know, the, from the <laughs> fresh living uh, from uh, the thyroid gland. What is it? The adrenaline gland of a living human being? Oh, I don't remember. But yeah, uh, it's it's hideously complicated, and it's just kind of all dropped on us at the very end of the movie without any sort of warning. It's just uh, there. There's there's this art forgery and thievery plot, and they, you know he damaged this piece of art, and then. 
we have these women and there's something vaguely sinister. And then finally, like he has this death pit and there's all this medical experimentation. And there's all these women kept in the barracks who are in like filthy robes because they're all dying of cancer that he injected with them. Like, where did all this come from? Well, it's always there, but nobody draws any attention to it. Like, it happens really early in the movie when you first see it, but nobody talks about it. Nobody mentions it. And it just feels like it feels like the human experimentation is his side gig. I guess it's so weird because it it just really kind of comes out of nowhere in terms of. Uh, the way it's set up for uh, the plot of the movie, because it's just like, yeah, that's this other thing that the bad guy seems to be doing, but it's really unclear how anything fits together. Oh, yeah. No, it, it doesn't really fit together until like right at the end. And even then, you got to do a lot of your own work to figure it out. Yeah, I did watch this both in the original language version and the English dub included on the set, because this is a vintage dub and not just a badly created new one, which is unfortunately what most of the ones are in the other set I have. Oh, so the other English dubs are worse than this one. I tried to watch it in the English dub, and I couldn't. I thought this was actually a really good English dub as far as those go. That one's pretty solid. Uh, These ones are way worse than the VCI one, which is just, they're newly created. Like, they're brand new, and it's very card read good. I am saying the line in the movie now. And... (laughs) Santos no... check his email. Yeah, very few uh, sound effects, uh, very minimal, uh, pretty much no score. Like they, because they have none of the original music or effects. It's just these guys doing. Oh, it's bad. It's terrible. Oh yeah, no, the score's got to be there. Oh yeah, that's a big part of it. And they just have like I think some occasionally just some cheap new library music. They just don't have any of the original sound <laughs> at all. So yeah, it, it's 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 a bummer. Hmm. Uh, so we start with a uh, Mission Impossible. Uh, I had to watch this twice the first time because I thought he was breaking into this museum to steal a painting. But no, he's just there to spray it with Axe body spray. I think it's what causes the damage to it later. It's like some it slow acting acid or something. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. He sprays it while it's in the museum. Uh, at this exact perfect time, because Peter the henchman is completely perfect. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he he doesn't screw up unless he's fighting Santo. Uh, right. But, but yeah, he's he sprays it with his fast acting stuff, or slow acting stuff, rather, so that uh, it looks like, so that the damage happens in transit, and then when they take it out of the super, like, armored car, uh, we don't see any of it, but it's presumed to be like extremely tight guard with the escort. Uh, it looks it's, like it happened in transit. It's all very comic booky. It feels like something from Danger Diabolic. Uh, very elaborate, very uh, ridiculous, heightened. I, I, this is not how paintings are transported. I don't think in you know their own portable uh, mini safes that are just for one big canvas that is like an absurdly thin metal tube for it like I, it just it, it doesn't make any practical sense it's a, an absurd comic book set piece although i do gotta wonder if they well they i guess they don't transport the mona lisa but how no, would they, they do, do it they... i i've 
seen it, I believe. Oh. I think they had it locally one time at the Royal BC Museum. Um, no kidding. You know, you 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 just uh, you you tr- you put them in safes, but not just one specially fitted safe for one painting. You you it's a traveling exhibit. You're not just like tr- going to have one painting. Well, and, true and, enough. And and as well, just the concept that they that it's this slow action thing that uh, becomes it makes it look like it's been shot. Yeah, it does look like it's been shot, but apparently the uh, the canvas hasn't been damaged at all, so it can be restored, right. which is very important. It has to be able to be restored for the villain's plan to work. Right, because he is a rogue restorationist. <laughs> like that lady who uh, restored that one Christ painting into a monkey. Remember oh, that? monkey Jesus, yeah. That's, that's, I was thinking about that the whole time. I just wanted that to be the reveal at the end once he's done restoring it. That that like a uh, pirate guy who's in the middle of the painting with just like the big goofy grin on his face for him to just like have a lucha mask on at the end, but like a really <laughs> shitty, badly drawn one, looking kind of like a strong bad type, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but like as drawn in a Teen Girl Squad. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> so yeah, Peter the henchman. Uh, is not stealing the painting. He's just spraying it with the shit that's the beginning of the villain's ridiculous plan. Right, yeah. Uh, and then we get the opening credits, which is a uh, cool jazzy music that just keeps cutting back to this painting that I don't know if this is real painting, but it looks hilarious to me. It just, the painting's funny. I don't know why. It's got kind of a feel of that guy. Um, uh, I can't remember the name. It, he's he's like this one p- painter who's famous for having really expressive faces that are kind of goofier. Uh, the the oh, there there's a meme where people do oh. rap lyrics in very heightened ways and usually use one of his paintings for it. Thou art finding I am straight out of thy district of Compton or something that like that. Yeah, that you, guy, you know, yeah. Uh, The the guy who painted those, it looks kind of like his work. The guy has a very big expression on his face. Uh And I think it's something to do with pirates. It says something like pirate's gold or whatever. They they probably reference this painting and show it a billion fucking times in the movie, but it doesn't matter. (laughs) No, it doesn't. It could be any painting. So they find out that it's been damaged. How could this have happened? Nobody went in or out of the armored car. Could this be the work of a madman? Could be. Could I mean, be. It's, it's weird. It doesn't make any sense. Nope. Who could do it? We we should call Batman, a.k.a. We Santo. <laughs> we should call Batman, a.k.a. Santo. But first, we have to wait. He's got a wrestling match. Well, yeah, I mean, that that always takes precedence, obviously. Santo. He has contracts. He's got to yeah. fulfill those. Uh, so this is the first wrestling match, first of four. First of four entire matches that we watch the entirety of. I, I like yep. so you know what I was saying now when I, at the end of last week's episode I was like I tolerate the lucha. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I don't hate the lucha. I don't have a big problem with it. But it it definitely does inflate the runtime to a degree because it's just like, yep, we're going to watch them do this entire match right now. Oh, yeah. This could easily be like two 30-minute episodes of a TV show like Batman 66 often was. Yes, totally. Uh, 
and I think it would have worked better that way, maybe. But but you got to have the wrestling. Uh, that's the lucha is essential. You literally cannot not have it. It's just maybe you don't need four entire matches in ninety minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, he had four matches that month, or ah, uh, yeah, or yeah. The, who knows how quickly they make these? Yeah, I I don't know, but <laughs> you got to show the matches. I guess it's like. This movie takes place over this expense or this expense of time. So how many matches does Santo have in that period of time? Like, okay, we have to work in that many matches into the movie. (laughs) And then figure out what Santo was doing in between matches, which is uh, being hired by or no, not hired. He works for Interpol. uh, Yes. Being given an assignment to go and figure out how this painting got damaged. Right. I mean, you know, he's a jack of all trades. He's your guy. You just send him in if he's if it's an issue in his region, uh-huh, uh-huh. which is Bond esque in terms of the double O's. Uh, not so much Bond himself, who seems to be their fixer, who goes to fix after other double O's get murdered in some place. Because isn't that how I I believe that's how Dr. No begins. The double O who lives in Hawaii gets offed and's like, Bond, go take a look into this. Man, I really hoped Dr. Death. I knew he wasn't going to be a Dr. Doom, but I really wish he'd be at least a Dr. No. He's a Dr. Whatever. He's Dr. <laughs> Man. Hilariously, He's... he is just literally Dr. Man. <laughs> <laughs> he is. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's is he Spanish? No, he's from somewhere. Yeah, I don't know. He's maybe a former Nazi or something. It could be. I kind of do get that sort of vibe, but then they're like, eh, let's not actually say it. He's from Central Europe somewhere. Let's let's not worry about it. Yeah, he has some kind of past in Central Europe that he's left behind, but now he's still interested in human experimentation now that he's here in uh, Central America. That doesn't sound like anyone we're aware of. (laughs) I didn't even think about that. Holy shit. But uh, yeah, but, but he's so boring. Like, he's such an uninteresting character that it's like this human experiment station stuff. I don't even know what it's about, and he doesn't even seem enthused about it. It's just like, ah, well, we gotta, you know, get that ink right. <laughs> this, That's... This, this whole absurd scheme. Yeah, no, he he just wants the ink. If he has to get it from human experiments, he'll do it that way. If he can only get it by digging through mm. the toilet with his bare hands he'll do it that way but he's getting the ink how he gets it doesn't matter and i don't even get how the ink is special because it's not magical or anything i don't get it i don't understand how like if he if he's looking for a very specific color you know he can take a sample of that and then go into fucking uh a paint store they they do that shit they can precisely get you any fucking color even probably in 1973 i want to say Oh, yeah, absolutely they could. But they couldn't replicate the brush strokes. But this tumor chemical can. <laughs> yeah, because of reasons, you see. How did this art guy do the experiments necessary to realize that human tumors did the thing he wanted? Well, the thing is, he had all this work that he did back in Central Europe. He had this camp that he worked oh, at. Oh, and, he was uh, a camp counselor. He was a camp counselor of a sort. And, you know, he just he he had lots of time and lots of uh, subjects with which to work. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. OK, I, I get it now. 
Um, that explains actually why Peter is so like super perfect when he's not fighting Santo, actually. Right. Yeah. That that I mean, it does kind of give me that vibe that that's sort of what they're going for. But then they just sort of never actually address it because it's like, well, this is kind of a kid's movie, except there's a bunch of nudity and violence in it. <laughs> Lucha World is really weird. Lucha, the, the Lucha World is so strange. It's so weird. Yes, it is. Yeah, so after his match, Interpol is like, no, you gotta figure out what's up with these paintings. Well, I can't. I've got fights in Spain. Well, guess what? The paintings are in, the paintings in Spain right now. Oh, cool. Well, then, let's go. Yeah, go for it. A lot of scenes in this movie are characters explaining what's going to happen in the next scene. Yeah, it has one of those. It's like that. there was that one... There, there was a flag. kung fu movie. Iron Flag did a lot of that. Exactly. Uh, where it's just like, well, let's go do this thing. Like, yep, let's do this thing. We're all going to do the thing. And then everybody goes and does the things like, well, we just did the thing. Should we go do this next thing? Like, absolutely. Let's let's uh, put our heads together and recap about which of our psychological tricks <laughs> worked and which ones didn't. Yeah. <laughs> but this one, the, the weird thing is, like, everybody has these... Uh, get-togethers where they're supposed to be communicating information, but information doesn't seem to be communicated. People are not picking <laughs> up the right information at the right points, because there is that one cop who comes to investigate and he just is like, well, everything seemed perfectly fine to me. <laughs> like, dude, how did you overlook all the stuff? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of... Everybody kind of takes a turn holding the idiot ball here, it feels like. It's true, it's true. Definitely. Uh, even Santo at one one particular point, although it doesn't negatively affect them, really. Right. You know, Santo isn't someone who had a can't be punched in his uh, contract type writer. He he was allowed to uh, mess up once in a while. But, you know, he he's every, obviously not going to be unmasked or lose a fight. No, <laughs> never. Not in the ring. Certainly no. not in the ring. No, not in the ring. No, um, Santo doesn't lose those. No. Ellen Mascarada de Plata. Don't mess with this guy. <laughs> uh, so we find out that uh, Dr. Death, or rather Dr. Man, is to restore this painting uh, after it's been damaged. And it's going to be kept at his uh, secluded castle uh, that he lives at while he's doing it. Of course, his his lair. His, his lair. His, his villainous lair. You know, he. I don't think they ever. I don't think they ever call him Doctor Death in the movie. Does that ever they even get not. said? No. 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 Because they don't find out until like the last five minutes that he's killing anyone. Yeah, even though he has that death pit. That death pit is wild. It does not get enough use in the movie. No, the death pit needed. Doctor Death needed to go into the death pit, not his girl True. assistant. True. Uh, and it just needed to be used more in general. Uh, it, it, if you have a death pit in your movie and your character, your your bad guy is Dr. Death, how are you not using that a little bit more? How are you not threatening Santo or Idiot Cop with your death pit? Hey, how is nobody getting like dangled over this thing? It's unbelievable. Yeah, he's got to be like, okay, well, in half an hour, you'll fall into the pit. Um, meanwhile, I've got to leave and do some other things. So, you know. Nothing like that. Or, or you set it up with the girl and, uh, you know, Santo enters the room, she falls. Oh, yeah, he's got to rescue her, of course. Classic trap. 
No, but none of that. It gets used exactly twice, once to establish that it exists, and once to get rid of the evil girl assistant. Like, I wanted to say maybe they had, like, six other movies to make this year, so they didn't really have time to fill it out, but they only made one other one in 73. To be fair, they did make six of them in 1972. Oh, wow. So they were tired. They're 40 movies into this. It's like, you guys all get it. You know what we're getting at. (laughs) It's a wrestling movie. Come on. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, we also find out that Peter, the ultimate henchman, uh, has been pretending to be blind, and this I don't understand. <laughs> Why? He's so devoted to the bit. Oh, he is like, he, he's a master at it. It's a way he can spy, but like in such an incredibly limited way. Yeah, it's not, it's not great, and he doesn't do a lot of spying when he's pretending to be blind, so... Well, how could he? Because he's literally present in, like, they can't say anything because he's there in front of them. They, <laughs> he would hear them because they know he can hear them. It's such a <laughs> stupid concept, and he spends way too much time on it. There's and, and, like, they suspect him. They're like, well, we're pretty sure that guy's actually able to see. This kind of seems like a ruse. She's like, I'll get it out of him. And she, like, has him walk into shit. Like, I don't know, dude. This man sees. Yeah, exactly. Uh, me and Stevie Wonder out riding dirt bikes in, in the hills, <laughs> right? Um, but uh, just that he spends so much time devoted to this bit that it doesn't seem to have any purpose or bear any fruit. It's like, dude, why don't you just... You're just going to arrest them anyways. Like, you, you have all these thugs and you're grabbing these people and injecting them with stuff <laughs> to make them... Full of cancer ink. I don't know. Look, why? What is the purpose? I don't even understand it. I think, and don't quote me on this, but I think the point is to lay low because Peter had been, 13 years ago, had been this Dr. Schwartz who restored (laughs) a Rembrandt painting. Uh, of course, it was Dr. Death who really restored it, but, you know, of course, this, yeah. it, that was a complicated plan, too, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's a previous Santo movie, who knows? But, <laughs> maybe. And, and maybe in that one, it was a blind character. Um, but, it, yeah, it's just, it's such an elaborate work. Again, it's someone keeping kayfabe to just an absurd degree for <laughs> no conceivable reason. <laughs> yeah, like. It makes no sense. He's only really blind around the girls who uh, don't Maybe. really know anything anyway. Is it just for peeping, mainly? And then he's like, I can use it for spying and then write it off to the bosses. And it's like, <laughs> it's like we've been getting some HR complaints that you're, you're clearly just peeping on the girls while you're pretending to be blind. I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious. It's like, no, no, it's for my important spying on them. You don't understand. I'll, I'll get you some key information. Like, I'm pretty sure they're not going to say anything because you, that's not how. Ah, fine, fine. We're, we're a villainous organization. I don't need to deal with this. <laughs> they have microphones in the room anyway. Yeah, they make a big deal out of that. Why is he blind? 
I don't know. It's it is such a weird plot thread. It is just like I said, it is a work. It is it's his bit as a wrestler, except he's not a wrestler. He's just a villain. <laughs> it's it's a mad lib. The villainous yeah. henchman is pretending to be blind. Sure. Yeah, sure. Like for reasons, apparently it just it landed on some question marks in, in terms of villainous backstory. Like, OK, I guess we just don't fill that one in. Because they, uh, they, they forget that it's, you know, free free space. Oh, Improv. I'm like, nope. Right. Just question marks. I'm like, I guess we don't fill it in at all. <laughs> My God. So this is the first time we see the human experiments. Uh, the thugs take one of the girls from the dungeon of this castle, and they're operating on her. Uh, it's Dr. Death and Peter and the girl assistant doing the operation. And they take out this tumor, and you don't really see what they do with it because they dump her in the death pit. Yeah. Which is a pit of, like, acid or water with a jacuzzi. It's green. It kind of looks like, uh... It's, it's sort of like the trash compactor that they fall into in uh, the that first Star Wars movie, New Hope. Mm. Uh, just w- without the trash in it. It's just, like, green water at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. This is one of two times we'll see the death pit, so... Not enough! Don't get to... <laughs> Not enough we death don't get pit. To really f- IMO. Mm-mm. We don't really get to find out the inner workings of the death pit or the human experimentation because after they dump her in the pit, they go immediately to the art forging machine, <laughs> which is in the same room. And I'm like, was that just where well, they got you- their funding from the organ well- harvesting? I know when you uh, were initially watching it, you thought that, like, the organs were used to power it in some way. And when you said that, that I could have just, like, I could have believed it because the plot is so incomprehensible with how the two things tie together. But they do somehow. (laughs) Yeah, well, it it is almost that the organ that is powered by human organs. Essentially, yeah, that's true. It it is essentially that. It's like, well, the the ink for my special uh, super photocopier machine only comes from adrenochrome harvested from uh, living beautiful women only. And how does, I wonder, like, because he, he gets all these models to come in uh, mm. and stay at his thing and work for him and, like, you know, quote unquote inspire him and then the models that he gets that don't have families those are the ones he uses right uh for for this but so the, the girls know a... the other girls right <laughs> they're aware yeah. of each other well see they the idea is when the girls are sent to the dungeon they leave right and they go, go to a farm to their lives yeah 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 so I, I just I, even before we get into that, there is a deeper problem with the concept that he's hiring all these models when he is supposed to be an art restorer. For one, for one, just why is he hiring models to paint art forgery if he's not doing uh, if he's not painting, if he's not doing restoration? Why well, is he hiring models to do it? And even that aside, if he's just restoring art, if, why do, what does he need models for the restoration of art for anyways? I don't think he's just restoring art. See, he's a professor he a of painter? the arts. I think he he claims to be a painter. He's like, Dad wanted me to study chemistry, but my heart was in painting. 
Oh, I I never got the impression that he actually painted just because we never do we ever even see him paint? I thought we only ever saw him do restoration. (laughs) No, we see him paint and uh, he treats his models like shit when he's doing. Yes, because they're like super tired. And she's like, I'm tired. It's like, yeah, well, Sabine and the other one aren't tired. Maybe you just suck. Right. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. I thought it was just an informed attribute type thing where it's just like, yeah, he's a <laughs> painter. Really? Uh, I, I yeah. could never I could not recall him actually painting despite watching this two times. <laughs> it's just the one scene. Oh, OK. It happens once that he yeah. for some reason, despite being primarily known as a restorationist and I don't know, just having a bunch of models around all the time when his main gig seems to be restoration uh, all of it is suspect. Like it, it none of it fits together. Yeah, but you know they needed beautiful women to do the tumors, so maybe this is gonna hire well, the models and take up learning how to paint in the process. I well, know. I guess it's just it's it's weird. It's labored. I I don't even understand. <laughs> yeah, and like. What if he gets a batch of women who all have families and stuff? Does he just? not steal art that year i don't like it's there's so many gaps in the plan that it's unbelievable like it's it's his work is pretending to be an artist versus the other guy pretending to be blind they they each have their own villainous thing it's just his is so bizarre and elaborate that it's incomprehensible to anyone but him. It's like he spent way too much time writing his character profile. <laughs> oh my God, yes. <laughs> well, you know, he's got to use that chemistry degree for something. I guess so. Uh, but uh, yeah, he gets a phone call uh, that's basically saying, hey boss, uh, you got to watch out Santos on the case. What? Santo? Santo, (laughs) our guy. Make sure he, yeah, he's going to the Louvre. If he goes to the Louvre, he'll find out about my other, other scheme. Make sure he dies before he goes there. And the guy's like, oh, is this where he's like, oh, I'm sure he's going to die in his next match. Like, sir, I guarantee you Santo is not going to die during his next match. Like, I, it, I'm pretty sure I have it on good authority that he's going to die in the ring in his next pro wrestling match. No, that's much later. That's for the third oh, okay. or fourth match. Because that does feel like a part where Dr. Man should be like, are you just not doing your job? <laughs> is this, like, it's this blind thing. Is that just your whole thing now? Uh, guy, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, he sends Max the Assassin to shadow Santo through the airport uh, very poorly. Yeah. The guy in Eyes Wide Shut did a better job of shadowing (laughs) Tom Cruise, and he was trying to be caught. Yeah. So, yeah, Santo ducks into a bathroom. The guy follows him there and shoots through a stall, but Santo's not in the stall. He just put the shoes down. Of course. The oldest trick in the book. Oh, yeah. And he beats the shit out of the guy. Of course. Because, you know, it's what he does. He's a wrestler. Uh, what I love, though, is he uses wrestling moves in his action fights. You, I mean, you see that probably a lot of time in Santo, but you don't see that anywhere else. True. It is strictly Santo is – I feel like it's part of the kayfabe is that uh, all of the villains know a bit of wrestling uh, moves – 
Uh, and most of the villains are wrestlers to some extent. Sometimes you'll have a sidekick wrestler or a, or a friend wrestler who teams up with him. Like Blue Demon uh, is in a bunch of these. Oh. Sando and Blue Demon contra Lel. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's fun to see him just, you know, doing a stunner. <laughs> doing doing yeah. a, again, like uh, the, the hammer punch, you know, the, the classic Shatner hammer punch. <laughs> yeah, it, it's fun to see him like instead of just like exchanging punches, it's fun to see him like flying towards the guy and doing flips and throwing the guy around. You gotta have style. Wrestling matches, even though I could never tell you anything that happened in them at like even five seconds after the fact, mm. I enjoy watching them at the moment. Oh, sure. I was really into wrestling as a small child. I didn't get into it after that. Like I, Oh, I don't know what year exactly it was. Uh, I was really into it when I was in elementary school and it definitely didn't go beyond elementary school. There was a year that I went and saw a live match. Oh, uh, at the Memorial arena, which no longer exists, or it became the save on foods Memorial arena, which is a much different, bigger place. Oh, really? I, I didn't know about that. I thought they just changed the name. Like they always do on those things. Oh yeah. No, it was always the Memorial arena, but it used to be like small, like a curling rink. Uh, and that's where I saw wrestling. I, I saw WW. I think oh, it would have been WWE then. I guess. Oh, it it had Owen Hart. Oh, I know that Owen Hart uh, as a tag team with Yokozuna at the time. Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, but you know, I was. I I would say I I had to have been like circuit grade five or six. So you know, ten or eleven years old, maybe twelve. And there was some adult who was seated next to us who was way more into it than I was. And I was so contact embarrassed that I got out of wrestling. Uh, I I, I was into it as a teenager and like early 20 something. uh, Like the attitude era. Yeah. From around 99 to like maybe 2003 ish uh, when the rock was really huge. um, Stone Stone Cold Cold Steve Austin was on top. Kane, um, bit of Kane. Kane was there. The Undertaker, yeah. well, the Undertaker. Undertaker, was perpetual. There. He was there when I was watching it. I think I might have seen him live. Uh, yeah, uh, Chris Benoit was. Benoit. Uh, I was. I watched that episode. Yeah, that's crazy. See, like I had totally gotten out of it long before then, but I knew a lot of people who were into it because that's like the peak era for modern wrestling. That that's the one that people really remember now. Oh, yeah, like this was just before Vince McMahon was fully insane. (laughs) Yeah, or at least publicly. Well, yeah, yeah. He's always been a little bit much. Interesting Uh, guy. Fascinating. Fascinating Uh, robot man. Not a good dude. Strange automaton of a person. Uh, Friends with Trump. Well, what a shock. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know who's not friends with Trump, though? El Santo? Santo I don't think he would appreciate him. <laughs> I think he would I feel just like they, flip over the wall to Mexico and just... I feel just, like they wouldn't see to see eye to eye on certain immigration issues, yeah. I don't think they would. And, and I don't <laughs> think Santo would pay for the wall. Uh, so Santo, he kind of finally has shown up in the film at this point. Uh, yeah. there, it's, it takes quite a while for us to have much of any Santo other than just him in the ring. Yeah, yeah. Like the first thing of note that he does is beat up the uh, 
this assassin in the bathroom and not ask him a single question or like arrest him or do anything. He just beats him up and leaves him there. Yeah, you know, Santo needs to know who he's working for. It'll all unfold. Santo knows that the script will take him there. He must be working for whoever the villain of the week is. Surely yeah. we'll we'll figure it out. I think this guy's small fry. We move on. Yeah. So he talks to one of the art guys. He's doing his investigation, and we are going to learn so much about art verification procedures. And it's honestly really dry. And not it's dry. There's, there, there's definitely sequences in this where I uh, tuned out completely, and it, it is why the scheme became very obscure to me, because it's kind of closely interlinked with all of these technical discussions. And like, I couldn't care uh this is a movie about a guy in a silver mask fighting people <laughs> i don't care about art forgery my god well we got we got a lot of space to fill so we gotta talk about it a lot i guess um, so and like let's have this guy pretend to be blind for half an hour <laughs> yeah so I'm, I'm gonna yada yada over all that because Good. it is kind of sucks yeah it's uh, the, just not, not not interesting to talk about yeah, so um, Dr. Death did this exact same thing 13 years ago uh, with a painting in the Louvre by Rembrandt. Right. Uh, I don't know which one. I don't know my fancy art and famous art people. But it, it's this not exactly the same, but very similar. A painting was damaged in transit, but then when they took it to have it restored, the restorer was like oh my god it's a fake and they're like oh good it's only a fake that got damaged too bad we don't know where the real one is or when it was stolen uh, what a drag. Then, yeah yep yep uh, so that's just how could not... it have happened yeah uh and i mean these things do sort of happen but it also just seems unlikely they're like well this one's a fake i'm sure of it like i don't know i don't know if i believe you that this it's a fake and you've called you've especially this is of course him realizing that he's going to be called on it twice but yeah. How did he think he was going to get away? He has this whole elaborate scheme with human experimentation going into his forgery. I don't know. It, it seems like it's not <laughs> that sustainable in well, so many first, ways. Well, Peter was posing as the restorer 13 years ago. Yeah. Uh, so that it, so that it wouldn't be Doctor Men and like this is he was using an alias of Doctor Schwartz, who was a rival of Doctor Men. But you know, they're, of course, they're actually <laughs> working together, and Peter has no art talent at all that's, Man does it all that's so wrestling they're a tag team yep and <laughs> yeah and and you know the the whole thing that they're secretly a tag team and they change names and they have like you know he he has his different doctor name and weird mm-hmm. yeah it, it's it's strange how much the wrestling storytelling bleeds into the action storytelling <laughs> <laughs> it, it kind of works a little once you you know if you can sort through it and figure out what the plans are yeah it just it it definitely gets dry in places where we have characterization because it's like i don't care i don't need the characterization <laughs> quite honestly yeah no for sure yeah so they decide this like oh no we didn't stop santo santo from going to the louvre and finding out about the rembrandt at all so now we just have to kill him we do um, overlook here my absolute favorite stuff oh. in the movie of santo just driving around with his mask on <laughs> alone yeah. in the car with the mask. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, 
oh yeah, the paparazzi following him everywhere, the villains finding out where he is because the paparazzi published his hotel room in the newspaper. Well, and, you know, he has fights scheduled wherever he's going to be. I yeah. Like, oh man, yeah, I've been doxxed by my public celebrity schedule. What a shock. <laughs> Did Interpol have not have anybody who like wasn't so high profile <laughs> well that's the other you know we've we've dunked on the villainous plan quite a bit but the interpol side of it is equally dumb and they're all doing stupid things because why him why i mean i guess it's it, he has a reason to be traveling it's the it, yeah. you know it is the the superman thing where obviously you know clark kent as a reporter can go different places but mm-hmm. Santo doesn't have a secret identity. <laughs> yeah, he can't go undercover. No. He doesn't have a Bruce Wayne mode. He is Santo 24-7. He just is their guy. They don't have another agent. He's <laughs> like, I'm really overworked. I mean, I've got a bunch of matches. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, your matches are sort of in the area where we think the bad guy is going to be. So you could deal with him there. It's like, ah, all right, all right. Yep, he literally ends a match with like, hey man, should we celebrate your victory? No, I'm going to sleep. I've got to freaking infiltrate the castle tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got to get some shot eye. The Interpol is having me scale up a stone wall tomorrow. <laughs> I've done 40 of these. I'm really tired. <laughs> Vince McMahon makes us work way too hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we meet... Uh, the buddy cop Paul, he sucks. Agent nine zero zero four. Yeah, um, he sucks. He's a he's a nothing. He is notably played by the brother of the director. I think it's just kind of <laughs> I I, I that that may be a, a part of why he might just be kind of a nepotism casting. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, he does save Santo from the assassins in his hotel room by kicking his chair over so the shot misses him, and then he fights him okay-ish. Santo does all the heavy lifting, of course, because who else will? Yeah, El Lucha Supreme. Mm-hmm. Uh, they find out more stuff about the evil plan. They do more investigating, and then it's time for wrestling. Again. We got another one. Is this the the mask match? Or is uh, that no, the, this that's is the last one? Yeah, that's the last one. This is a tag team match with him right. and Some someone guy. fighting two people. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's there's, fun. there's another match. We see it. You know, it's tag team. People get thrown out, out the ring. Yeah, these. I think these would be good, like, popcorn movies. Oh, sure. It's fun to watch them, like, throw each other around. But, yeah, it doesn't matter. Then Santo and the cop are having a discussion. It's like, well, I think we need to go see Dr. Man because all the art guys are saying that this damage was the work of a madman, but I think it's a very sane man. And the cop is all like, has the dumbest line of, going after a sane man and going after a madman are the exact same thing, though. And Santo's like, dude, no the fuck it isn't. Well, it is so different. It is different, but his reasoning is the stupid part. Like the the idea of, um, oh well, it's the work of a sane man, definitely, and not the work of a a, a, a madman. It's like, well, what difference does it make? What what are you trying to prove? How is that going to change your approach to this in any way? 
It's like, well, we're going to just do it the same way anyways. Like, yeah, obviously. So who cares? <laughs> what are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. It's um, it's one of these things that the movie does, and I feel like it's what I would call dialogue spam, is they have certain <laughs> quotas of dialogue where it's like, well, we have to talk about this thing. And it's like when a kid writes a story that you know, is like, well, business, business, business. It's, it's that sort of thing. <laughs> where it's like, well, I think... Well, sanity and insanity are two sides of the same coin. Like, oh, ha, ha, well, that's a very intelligent thing you've just said. And it's like, none of this is meaningful. What are you talking about? Shut up. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Go fight someone. <laughs> Where's that death pit? <laughs> well, hey, they're driving to uh, Dr. Death's castle, so maybe they'll see the death pit. Because uh, they're going to investigate the castle, right? So is this where they install their undercover lady not just yet this is where they find out uh he santo talks to dr death and uh esther one of the models one of the newer ones who doesn't know about the experiments uh shows the cop around and she's all like oh yeah no my friend goes everyone who leaves here just kind of goes missing and cuts off all contact and we never (laughs) hear from them again and it's really kind of scary and there's this creepy vibe and everyone's just terrified all the time and cops like eh it's probably fine i mean how close were you not suspicious at all how close were you how close were you to this person to begin with i mean maybe she just ghosted you man don't worry about it (laughs) and like Oh, yeah. And his whole job that Santo said was like, hey, find some place, some way that someone can sneak into this castle and take the painting. Find secrets in the castle. Yeah. I, well, he's he's lazy. He's not doing anything. It's it's like our, our fucking it's it's the boss again. It's like, well, I don't know if I report back that there's nothing going on. It kind of seems like nothing's going on officially. <laughs> <laughs> I won't have to do as much work. I don't wanna. It's time for you to come undercover in our gang. I'm like, well, I'll tell you what, I don't wanna. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to know a deadly secret? <laughs> mm, is it gonna take much time? Do I have to walk? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so talking about it, like, so Paul, what did you find when she was showing you around the place? There was absolutely nothing suspicious whatsoever. Yeah, well, yeah, it was it was fine. I, obviously, uh, the guy's on the up and up. Uh, I'm good at my job. I'm a pretty good cop. Yeah. So then they decide to not because of any suspicions, but just because they want to have someone close to the painting to guard it. That's right. when they install the other agent. She's a guard for the painting, undercover, rather than being someone trying to get information. Yes. And she immediately finds out that there's this whole fucking thing going on. Like, as soon as she gets there. Oh, yeah, because she does police work. She asks some questions of people who are concerned with things. Like, well, I have these concerns. Like, oh, well, tell me about them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Like, when they're interviewing her uh, and briefing her on the mission, she's like, well, was there anything suspicious at the castle? And they're both like, nope, not at all. Five minutes in, she's like, oh, my God, how the hell did they say there's nothing suspicious here? Yeah, it's it's completely ridiculous. The guy just did not want to do the job. Yeah, like she finds the microphone instantly. It's pretty obvious. Like, it's very visible. If you're yeah. looking for it, if you're the sort of person who knows how to spy or do police work or whatever. I mean, obviously not Paul. 
no, no. So she's wandering, and she even finds the secret passages to the human experimentation lab. But, you know, since no experiments are going on, it just looks like a regular secret laboratory. Why, though? <laughs> yeah. He's he's a painter. I mean, I guess a, art restoration. No, I don't buy it. I don't buy it as an art restoration studio. No. And, like, he finds her in the secret lab, and she's just like, oh, I was looking for a book to read. Well, all of the, like, back and forth between her and these guys is so stupid, because they keep finding these things that they that are kind of incriminating as she is, but the things she finds are incredibly incriminating and are obviously bad. And they, they are realizing that she's a cop, but they don't say, well, she might be able to talk her way out of this. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Peter suspects her, but Dr. Mann is like, Oh no, she was just down here looking for a book in your secret laboratory that you can only get through through (laughs) secret passages. Ah, she's Peter, fine. Don't worry about her. Peter suspects her to back up his uh, blind thing. It's like, well, I could use this blind thing. You know, this is exactly what I've been establishing it so much for. Oh, yeah. So so they're like spying on each other in the next scene. He's trying to get info out of her, but she's trying to prove that he's not blind. Right. And they have <laughs> this bit where they, she's they're walking towards a branch and she won't tell him that it's there until he physically runs into it with his eyes open. And he's like, come on, you have to tell me that there's branches there. I do Um, like the way he plays that. It's like, uh, lady, you know, I'm blind, right? (laughs) Remember you're some, you kind of got to tell me if I'm going to run into something that's pretty rude. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, She's like adjusting her makeup with a mirror and shining like the reflection of the sun right into his eyes. And he's just like standing there trying not to blink. And then later complains to Dr. Death about how hard it was. Yeah. It's like, well, why were you doing it, dude? You're the one who makes this stuff up. I think she's trying to find out if I'm blind. No, she's not. Well, and also it's like, so why are you pretending to be blind, sir? (laughs) It just kind of makes you more suspicious, doesn't it? Yeah. It's like, no, no, Um, no, it's all part of the scheme. Is it, though? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, But, yeah, as he's telling the doctor that, uh, that she's that she's trying to find out that he's blind mm. or not blind rather. Yeah. Uh, they find her, they find her and Esther like trying to escape through the tunnels. And he's like, well, I guess that settles that. And he pushes a switch that turns one of the rooms into a gas chamber. Oh, right. fuck. A yeah, gas see, chamber. This is what I'm saying. Okay. Dr. Okay. Death. Yep. Like it's, yep, it's all right. there in the name and it's there in like the character details, but then they just sort of never flesh it out and they just make him this nobody. Um, yeah. It's weird. Yeah. He, he learned about the gas chamber from that camp he was at. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I we, we've never actually outright said it, but <laughs> Dr. Robert Mangala, right? Oh, you know, I, I feel like Joseph, obviously Joseph, a real guy, but yeah. Yeah. It, it does kind of feel like that's what they're doing. They even ask at one point, is he from, is he German? Oh, right. He's from somewhere in Central Europe. <laughs> yeah, he's come from Europe somewhere. He did some stuff during the war. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Related to the military, it was. 
the the military the military of an unspecified european nation you see which one oh an unspecified one we don't talk about it yeah oh my god i didn't even holy shit yeah so he so peter is like okay well i've obviously got to capture her and get the information out of her so he threatens her with scorpions (laughs) oh yeah that's kind of fun they're extremely venomous even though they're extremely tiny yeah and she she stands her ground she doesn't give up anything she's like yeah i was just wandering around i you said nothing was off limits so i just went wherever and the radio in my car i just like radios i just have a really fancy radio what's your problem dude i'm a reporter i have to report stuff back didn't she have something like that that there was a reason why it was a two-way radio ah i don't remember I think it had something to do with her work, but uh, yeah, yeah it, it was basically like, yeah, come on, I have a fancy radio because I'm a cool chick. What, what the hell do you want? <laughs> You're shaking scorpions in my face. What's your problem? It's like, ah, maybe I'm going to pull out the blanket on your blindness bit. It's like, oh, maybe this lady's on the up and up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell Dr. Man you're not blind. <laughs> Uh, yeah so <laughs> he's he'll be unmasked you don't yeah, want to do yeah. that <laughs> but you know what they they don't get any information out of her and they still have to deal with santo it's like hey you know i'm i could use my blind thing to go take him out <laughs> no 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 <laughs> He will die in the ring tonight. Oh, yeah, this is... I, I have it on good authority. He's definitely going to die during a wrestling match. Like, so, do you really think you're going to kill Santo in the ring? You really, really think that that's going to work out? <laughs> this deep into the Santo cycle, you're like, oh, no, this time it's going to work for sure. Uh, okay, okay, so a uh, question for you. Okay. Your name or your nickname is Dr. Death. You mm. are a master of art and chemistry. You do evil experiments. How would you kill Santo in the ring? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't. It would never in a million years happen. <laughs> I guess it's, yeah, I mean, poison would be the obvious way to go. Uh, you know what you wouldn't do? Just try to sneak in a basic foreign object. <laughs> a knife! No! A knife! Oh, nobody's ever thought of that before. <laughs> Yeah, his brilliant plan. Oh, time for wrestling, by the way. Well, yeah, this is the mask match, isn't it? Or no, is this there is still the another match. one after? Okay. No, I think I think this is actually the last match, and it's only I three. So. But it is a full, like, three-round match that we have to yes. see the whole thing. Right. And then at the end, the guy gets unmasked. The the uh, opponent. The opponent gets unmasked. Yeah. Um, someone slips him a knife, and Santo just deals with it because yeah. he just got done dealing with, like, 15 assassins with knives and guns i mean if this is if this is the 40th uh, santo movie i would expect that someone has tried to sneak a foreign object into the ring 39 previous times at least (laughs) (laughs) the confidence with which he proposes like no don't we don't need to worry about santo anymore he will definitely die in the ring tonight i've seen to it (laughs) i don't know doesn't he usually win those like hmm I've definitely moved it in my favor. There's a foreign object, you see. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I never hear of that happening. I paid the referee to ignore it. The referee would have ignored it anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what the referees do. That's part of the 
part of the bit. The bit is that the re- all referees are <laughs> blind as fuck. Every single one of them. You don't want a competent referee in your match. Yeah, it's it's just it's so funny. Uh, his sheer confidence going into it. Like I I wonder how many times that plays out in the rest of the Santo movies because I've seen a few and it definitely does happen in other ones I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> so after he completely and totally thwarts the uh, knife assassination attempt, like Shocking. and you know makes it look like it's just part of the regular match and the guy gets unmasked and we never hear from him again. Yeah. I don't know if we uh, even got that guy's name. No. Uh, well, no, we would if you could read Spanish and were paying attention to the poster. Right, yeah. Uh, but I didn't and wasn't. Yeah, no, I have no idea. Uh, yeah, so the, the agent and Esther, the one who warned, tried to warn the cop in the first place, uh, both get captured. Uh, they're taken to the dungeon where... The girls who are in the dungeon confirm. Right. This is where it's finally just revealed that there was this whole uh, what the plan secretly was all along. Yeah. So, you know, we've we've gone over it, but, you know, it injects them with tumor or cancer shit, pulls out the tumors, uses that for the fancy photocopier. When you break it down (laughs) like that, it sounds so dumb. (laughs) Dumbest thing in the world. And and the agent's like, well, hey, you know what? I'm supposed to be in constant contact with Santo, so he'll come after me when I haven't radioed him for a while. And we cut to the Santo and the other cop being like, man, there's been 40 hours of radio silence. (laughs) She's dead, you guys. (laughs) Maybe we should go check on that. It's like, no, I went there. There was nothing suspicious. Let's just continue to sit. <laughs> I like sitting, man. I'm real good at it. It's what I'm best at. It's what I've always said. Yeah, so uh finally they decide to infiltrate the castle. Yes. Under the cover of darkness <laughs> quotation. Under the cover mark. of day for nightness. <laughs> day for day, it looks so daylight. It's pretty daylighty. Yeah. I mean it's you got a bit of a blue filter there, I think. A little bit. Um, but you can see the sun out. Well, yeah. Well, who cares? Santo has a grappling gun. Hell yeah. <laughs> he fucking uses it. Uh, yeah, he scales the whole thing. Uh, and the other cop does too, I guess. Yeah. The goons completely see all of it on the monitor. They just see everything. It, nobody, no sneaking happened. No, it's like the body moving music video. <laughs> Beastie Boys, which is Danger Diabolic, which, you know, they, they do have that same kind of energy, this early comic book energy, the 60s swinging mod energy. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I don't oh, I don't know if I've seen that one. Is that Danger one Diabolic? Kaiju? No. Okay. Uh, Danger Diabolic, it has Franco Nero, who was Django. Oh. And he, you know, he plays a, a masked villain who steals stuff but he's sort of the hero of the movie there's a part where he like picks up his lady and they drive into this massive car carousel that spins that has all these cars that he's stolen and they get out (laughs) and then dump all the money that they stole onto a big heart-shaped bed and have sex on it it's great great (laughs) movie right uh nothing that cool happens here no sadly I mean, Danger Uh, Diabolic's kind of one of a kind. That's the Mario Bava comic book movie. Oh. (laughs) 
So Peter sees him on the monitor, and he just flips the switch to activate the gas chamber, which Santo is able to dive out before the door closes, but uh, Paul um, doesn't – he doesn't dive. Oh, no. So he's trapped in the gas chamber, and he's just going to, you know, sit there for a little while. Uh, oh, it's what he's best at. <laughs> yep, well, Santo goes to look for the controls, which he finds almost immediately. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he busts into the control room. Uh, he disarms a gun thug, so I don't know how the guy thought the knife was going to work. No, it's such a stupid plan. Yeah, it's really dumb. And Don't yeah. worry, boss, I've got it all sewn up. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they, they do a bunch of fighting. Uh, he disarms the two the tube thugs who are nameless. Um, yeah, there's, there's just out. henchmen. I think yeah, they're henchmen. just titled henchmen. Yeah. He manages to open uh, the door so Paul can <laughs> escape. Paul's wandering through the uh, through the dungeons, and he doesn't have Santo's perfect direction sense, so he gets captured by Peter. He hasn't read the script. He didn't read he, ahead. It's homework. Come on. Ugh. I, okay, I guess I got to go this way. Oh, man, there's a thug. Or uh, there's an evil henchman. I could fight him. I, maybe he'll tie me up to a chair and I can sit down. Yeah, what I'm best at. Yeah, he does not tie him up to a chair. He just ties him up standing and explains. Oh, his evil. only weakness. <laughs> <laughs> yep, he explains the evil lazy fucking cop ass. <laughs> <laughs> He's so mad that he has to stand that while Doctor Death is explaining the evil plan to him, which we already know yeah, by this point because. Uh, well, we we do and we don't. By the time I got there, yeah. I didn't. And even after That's he said fair. it, like I don't know, man, what is this all about? Well, once you realize it doesn't make real world sense, it's a lot easier to swallow. Yeah, it's got a real Saturday morning cartoon flavor to it. Yeah, uh, and now you're a mass murderer. You could have just been an art thief and gone to like high class prison. Yeah, it is a but, completely baffling plan with so many unnecessary complications that just make it worse for him. Oh, yeah. Like like this guy, if he got caught just doing Art Thief, he would have gone to one of those, you know, nice rich people prisons that's not really a prison. Well, that's until they look into his background in the well, nondescript European uh, nation from yeah. which he came. Yeah. Well, maybe that's it. He just... He came from that nondescript European nation. He can't help himself. There's got to be human experimentation. Oh, yeah, I do feel that that's sort of the subtext is that he was he's here for the experimentation, but he's sort of turned it into a public art thing. But he's still into the experimentation for, you know, I mean, it's what fuels him as an artist. And he gets off on the fact that there all these people are at these museums looking at his blood yes, paintings. That's right. He he specifically says that it's a thing that like really does it for him. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we I guess we glossed over the part where his secret lair has a Mona Lisa and it, oh, yeah. or, sorry, it's the Mona Lisa and yeah. the all these famous paintings. His his <laughs> stolen art room that like opens up and is just full of these little alcoves and he has a space ready for his next one. Mm-hmm. The art room, which happens to be where the girl, where he caught the girl and was like, ah, she's not doing anything suspicious. 
They're all so dumb. Everyone. Yeah. Well, except yep. Santo. Santo just kind of... It, he knows the plot and he's just following it along as it goes, but everybody else is just blowing it every step of the way. <laughs> yeah. So Paul upset that he can't sit down, uh, decides to fight back. Cause that's the only way he's going to get to a chair. And he knocks the girl assistant into the death pool, which I had forgotten about until, right. cause we only saw it at the beginning and I forgot there was a death pool until right this point. Not used enough. No, no, because you can for, you shouldn't be forgetting about a death pool. No, and it's cool looking. I, I, it's unbelievable that it was not better used as a threat. Oh yeah, I don't know. It's it's a it's a good death pool. It might be the best thing in this movie as far as set, <laughs> sets. Yeah, maybe, maybe. He he knocks her into the thing. Uh, Santo busts into the room. He knocks out Doctor Death. Santo unties Paul. Peter's like. Fuck this. And he bails. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, my, my secret is revealed. I got to get out of <laughs> they here. They know I'm not blind. I better leave. Maybe next time I'll be deaf. <laughs> Peter is leaving while Paul is dealing with Dr. Death. Santo's chasing Peter down the, the trap dungeon where he's yep. got like these uh, arrow traps. It's like... Indiana Jones hasn't happened yet, but it's Indiana Jones. Well, I mean, it's it's such a uh, it's very tropey. It's it's any dungeon that you go into. It's it's D and D even, you know. It's it's everybody. It's it's well, of course, you know, Indiana Jones is pulling from all like classic action and adventure serials. Like, oh you, shit! You can, yeah. Uh, they they're explicitly based on classic adventure movies like five graves to cairo has a bunch of stuff that is heavily borrowed from uh by the indiana jones movies i guess it would yeah i guess they would be influenced by the same a lot of the same sources probably yeah i mean sento is kind of just actually still a part of them because it's it's a legacy by this <laughs> point it's been going since the 50s so it's sort of just an exponent of it it it, it still is one of those right on yeah, so now we get the boat chase because after Hell Santo yeah. figures out all the traps and the, you just have to push a button to make them not happen, uh, we get a boat chase with uh, Santo chasing Peter on a boat. Peter's trying to shoot at him. Uh, well, Paul first, dude- first the, the, the guy gets away in the boat, but Santo yes. does a great cliff dive. Oh, yeah, the cliff dive. And then the helicopter comes and picks him up. So it's not a speedboat chase. It's a they're chasing the like with Santo hanging from a, a rope ladder, uh, going after boat, them. They do chase on the speedboat for quite a bit first, uh, and it's Paul who's on the helicopter uh, sitting, which is his favorite thing. And he yeah he lowers down the rope ladder, so then it becomes a helicopter boat chase. And then Santo does a jump off the ladder onto the boat, and just punches Peter a whole bunch. Right. And then after after they punch each other quite a bit, he knocks out Peter and dump, jumps off the boat. Just boat explodes. A, boat explodes. Flies into a cliff. Peter does this hilarious scream, even though he just got knocked unconscious. But, you know, he had to wake up to do the scream otherwise. Oh, where's the fun? Yeah. And he's fucking dead. Yeah. Kaboom. Speedboat yeah. explosion. Satisfying villain death. Pretty good. Yeah, uh, the next scene is literally Santo getting on the plane to leave. 
and uh, the cop and the two models who who escaped from the thing and somebody else are just waving goodbye to him. Yeah, well, he's over. Santos got other fights. <laughs> man, he's got contracts. He doesn't have time to celebrate. Yeah, this poor guy probably doesn't sleep at all. Yeah, it is a busy life being Santo. That's why there aren't many movies after this. This is near the end of the cycle. There's only like four or five others after this. Oh, really? I um, think pretty near the end. He Like he retired in 81 or 82, I think. Oh, wow. So I mean, going since the 50s, that's a really yeah. long time to be uh, a wrestler. I mean, only uh, fucking uh, The Undertaker also does that like the undertaker's been doing it for way too long oh yeah well he's been doing it since the 80s so like 40 at least the 80s so 40 plus years i think it's the early 90s or very late 80s because i like i do remember him being part of it when i was watching it when i was young yeah and he only retired like a couple years ago yeah uh, so Santo retired in January 1984. Oh, wow. Uh, so he could have fought Hulk Hogan, theoretically. Yeah. Theoretically, if uh, Hulk Hogan wasn't a fucking racist. Oh, Hulk Hogan sucks. So let me see here. There is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight more Santo movies that came out after this. And Santo There's was so just... many. Santa was listed as one of the main influences for Jesus Shows You the Way to Highway. And oh, yeah, I can of course. see it. Oh, definitely. Uh, well, I mean, Santa probably also influenced 66 Batman. Oh, most likely. I Like, in terms of costumed people on TV, I feel like Americans would have been familiar with Santo at the time, because I think it probably would have been playing in reruns. You would have had the dubs of them on Saturday afternoons quite a bit. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah, and it, they'd been running since the 50s, so you'd have a lot of them in reruns. You'd have a lot of them in repertory houses. Yeah, I, I would think probably Batman borrowed a lot from Santo. And here, I, I feel like it's kind of borrowing some of it back with sort of oh. the go-go energy. Oh, man, like the scene of him dangling from the rope ladder immediately oh. reminded me of Batman. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, no Santo shark repellent, though. Not in this one, at least. No, not in this one. Uh, but a pretty good time. Like, I, it's not high art or anything, and it does definitely drag when we get into so much explanation. And everybody's plot is just held by the thinnest of threads that if you pull it, the whole sweater is gone. Oh, we skipped over so much exposition. That's because it completely doesn't matter. It's so incoherent. Do you want to know, like, the actual methods that they use to find out if a painting is counterfeit or not? No! Well, find out! <laughs> well, and, and I guess that's the biggest problem, is that they have so much elaborate detail around stuff that, A, doesn't matter, but B, doesn't make sense, because, like, all of the plot is nonsense, and the closer you look at it, the less sense it makes, so... Why are they spending so much time explaining the details of how stupid this is? It's just like, oh, I'm turning in circles. And but, I'm sure that their methods, the explanations aren't even correct. No, I don't think so. But yeah, it's it's all part of that Saturday morning cartoon energy, but it's just like expanded out a little bit too long. It does feel padded. <laughs> you could leave in the wrestling and take mm. out 
the exposition, and this would be a really fun hour-long film. Yeah, the lucha is totally essential. You you have to have it in there. You know, if if you were taking out a lot of exposition and shortening it, maybe you could take at least one of those fights out. But uh, you know, keep the match mask match, keep the tag team match. Uh, maybe you yeah. don't need the other one. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's it's a good time. I like Santo a lot. I so love just watching him do stuff in the mask that's just totally <laughs> mundane there there is a part that we didn't mention i think it's uh when he has meet met up with the guy and he's getting his assignment because he it's just after him doing a wrestling match and he comes out of the shower and is toweling off but with the masks all on oh yeah yeah, yeah i love that mm-hmm. hilarious <laughs> it's like yeah, yep, he, he showers with the mask on too yep <laughs> probably sleeps with it on it must smell fantastic. I wonder if he just has multiple, like a full closet full of just Santo masks. Oh, I'm sure Santo actually did, because he really oh. did. Oh, yeah, he, he would have to. He's, yeah, and he's such a major public figure. People would recognize him all the time. Like, he, he, how he retired was he actually unmasked on TV. He was doing a talk show. And he's like, I, I'm legitimately retiring, and I, to show how serious I am about it, I'm actually going to take the mask off right now here in front of you. Oh, shit. Yeah. I, I love that, like, aside from the mask, he dresses perfectly normal. Yeah, he, he's just wearing suits. He would look like just an ordinary dude if he didn't have the mask, and no assassin would find him, but can't take off the mask, though. Can't take off the Santo. mask. No, kayfabe. Yeah. Uh, unbreakable. Uh-huh. Yeah, a very strange fe- feeling to all of it. It, it. Like everything has to be created in a certain way to fit the reality of the movie, but the reality of the movie is so strange that uh, everything around it gets warped around it. And then, you know, we're so deep into this universe at this point, you know, 40 movies deep that they don't recognize that any of it's weird anymore. So it just gets <laughs> that much stranger. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's not like Santos on the case. What Santo the wrestler? It's it's Santos on the case. <gasps> not Santo. Like oh Santo, my goodness. Oh, we're I mean, in well, trouble. Santos if he's our on the guy. Case. Yeah, Santo. Like he's the only guy. He's he's all Interpol seems to have. He's <laughs> well, really and busy. Paul. Yeah, and, and Paul, the competent female agent. That's true. She sort of does some stuff, but she gets captured, and they don't really have any support for her. <laughs> they get her out I eventually yes yeah. they, they got lucky yeah they're they got lucky that it was like a long-term plan and not sort of an immediate kill kind of thing oh yeah yeah, yeah. the the tumors have to grow for five months before you can harvest them so right. they have to hold this agent in the thing for five months yeah uh, extremely elaborate plan for extremely limited uh outcome bizarre total mess uh-huh. <clears throat> but the movie is fun. I do yeah. like the movie. I I have ragged on uh, the coherence of the plot quite a bit because it isn't there. But uh, <laughs> when you, when you're watching it, you're having a good time. And then as soon as you start pulling at the thread, it's like, wait, that doesn't make sense. Wait, that doesn't make sense. Who does? Who is this? How does this fit together? Hmm. <laughs> I shouldn't have started pulling at these. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I kind of, I kind of wish I had just watched it and wasn't trying to analyze it but oh well we had no, fun talking 
it's it's it, it, part of the joy of it is analyzing it for me though because i i do think about all this stuff while i'm watching it even if i'm just watching it for fun i i start to pull at these things like well why how what is the plot because i i always have to have in mind at the end like so what was the villain trying to do here and when i <laughs> after two watches this movie i came up with i don't know there is an art thing and there's a human experimentation thing and uh where do those overlap and i it, i don't know it's, <laughs> it's so strange it's not super clear even <laughs> even after all this what's the blindness about i don't know <sighs> it's just his bit uh and and that's sort of the whole thing is just everybody's got a bit and it's uh, a whole deep thing that nobody can ever let go of <laughs> it, it does feel like watching a wrestling match as a film yeah, it's it's very wrestling storytelling, uh, and and it's weirdly distinctive. It is fun. I mean, I had a lot of fun with it. I had a lot of fun pulling it apart too. It's a good time, and yeah, just realizing the Doctor Death thing that he's kind of a Mengala secretly. It's like, oh, that's weird. That's totally there, but it's not there. Hmm. Uh, uh... The gas chamber really. The gas chamber, in, yeah. I mean, it's it's there. I, I was I was on the fence about the Mangala thing before, but until we got to the gas chamber. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So, any final thoughts on Sento versus Doctor Death before we move on to our third and final section? Um, no, we'll just check out next week. Same Sento time, same Sento channel. All right. And we're back for part three, where we're talking about other movies we've watched in the past week and deciding what we're going to cover next week for our New Year's episode. Oh, yeah. This one will be going up on New Year's Eve or day? This I think next New one? Year's Eve, I believe. Something like that. Pretty close to that. One, one of the two. One of the yeah, two. It's, it's one of the two. Uh, so we've got, I believe, 11 pictures to choose from here. Uh, first up, Shanghai Joe, or Mil Il Mio Nome Shanghai Joe. Oh, you linked me some uh, pictures or some short clips of this one. Yeah, I think I sent a clip from this one. This is uh, an odd hybrid. It's a spaghetti western that has a kung fu character in it. Right, so right. <laughs> So it's just, you know, uh, there, there's this guy, Chen Li, who is the actor who's Shanghai Joe. And it's weird because it is uh, it, it's mostly a spaghetti Western and it's not really a kung fu movie, but there is a kung fu character who does uh, kung fu esque moves there. You know, it's more it's there's a lot of wire work. It's maybe more wuxia esque in that respect, because, oh, okay. you know, it's a spaghetti Western. So they're kind of having a work within uh that style mostly uh klaus kinski obviously is in it <laughs> does it make his uh his theme song no theme song uh it's he's scalper jack <laughs> that sounds like a klaus kinski character it does he, he's one of a bunch of bounty hunters that they hire to go after this guy because uh they they want to hire him for various shows. Well, like he keeps running into racists. Shocking. You, you can't imagine. Uh, a people Chinese racist man against... running into 
racists at the West? In the Old West? Unbelievable. Yeah. Everywhere he goes, people are racist to him, so he punches them to death. Yeah, that's what you do. (laughs) Sure. I'm always on board with punching racists. It's pretty fun. Uh, There's a really fun score, because the score is like... It does the Morricone thing, but then it adds sort of an Eastern string flavor to it. Ooh, that That's kind of nice. That sounds it. really interesting. Yeah. Uh, next, we've got Mindfield. Sort of uh, post-scanners, Canucksploitation, MK Ultra thing. Okay. Uh, I don't know if it's just me and the resolution that I'm looking at of the image, but the thumbnail for Mindfield looks like Elon Musk. Yeah, it kind of does. It's uh, it's our Michael Ironsides or oh, Ironside, oh. the great Michael Ironside. He's great in everything I've seen him in, which is not a whole lot. Loved him in Turbo Kid. Oh, totally. So, I well, he's also in Scanners. So it's right, <laughs> certainly right. pulling from Scanners. Uh, and it's him as this guy who's he's a cop, a Montreal cop, uh, and there's uh. He gets involved in this case and starts recovering lost memories of him uh, being involved in an MKUltra experiment where they, you know, gave him a bunch of acid and did the psychic driving stuff on him. Again, it's not a conspiracy theory. MKUltra really happened. Yeah, this is real. Uh, So and it's it's like specifically in this movie, it is MKUltra. It's a CIA experiment being held in Montreal and. It's him remembering all of it, uh, and it's uh, obviously Christopher Plummer is the bad guy because you know if you're getting a Canadian bad guy in that area, you gotta have him. Oh sure, definitely. It's cool. Uh, mostly shot at the Montreal Olympic Stadium, which was really high tech and futuristic looking uh, at the time, and still kind of is. So it's kind of just cool seeing a bunch of shots of that. Cool, cool. Next we've got Christmas Evil, aka You Better Watch Out. Oh, uh, is does this have the Santa Claus Kinskis coming to town? <laughs> Nay, uh, this one is uh, one of the great Christmas slasher movies. I, I think it's the other really great one, along with the first Silent Night, Deadly Night. It's another Santa slasher, but this one, it's like this guy decides he's going to become Santa. You know, okay. He's really going to be Santa. It's, this guy works at a toy factory and... As a kid, he saw Mommy kissing Santa Claus underneath the mistletoe one night. Oh. And it gave him the rage. (laughs) (laughs) It's like... Naughty. It's kind of like that. You know, he has... There's this sort of incredible, very dreamy pop art opening sequence that feels like uh, 50s advertising. It's very imagistic, very uh, heightened. And it's him seeing santa claus where you know his dad is dressed up as santa claus and him and his brother have snuck down the stairs with mom to secretly quote unquote watch santa put the presents under the trees you know to to fill them with wonder of course and then he sneaks down later and mom was totally turned on and they're making out in the santa outfit and it freaks his mind (laughs) yeah it would yeah so as an adult, we catch up with him. He works in a toy factory. He's in middle management. He doesn't like it very much. Uh, he surveils all the neighborhood kids Ooh, through binoculars. That's... He has books of everything they do, and he has nice and naughty lists. Oh, no. Very creepy. Uh, 
and yeah, just one Christmas, things start to pile up on him, and he decides, no, it's time. I have to become the Santa Claus. <laughs> you have to do what Santa Claus does. It's basically, yeah, it's it's kind of him doing that. He he kills some people. He gives out some stolen presents. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. Nice, cool. Uh, next up, we've got Christine, John Carpenter's Christine. This has been on the watch list before. Yeah, because I watched all of John Carpenter's movies last year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is his Stephen King adaptation, the only one he ever did. Uh, Haunted right. Car movie. Right, it was a Stephen King as well. It's another one that I saw when I was really young. It's a, sort of a weird one. It's so 80s because, well, it's it's weirdly 80s because it's about the retro 50s wave of nostalgia oh. and being like, is that a bunch of bullshit? Maybe fuck that. <laughs> like, hey, does that suck? Do people who want to go back to the 50s actually suck? That's kind of what the movie's sort of secretly about. Uh, and it's good. It's it's really solid, great score. Uh, there, there's a bit where the car is on fire and it runs someone over and fucking rules. <laughs> nice. Is it a Carpenter score? It is, yeah. Well, Carpenter and Howarth, uh, so in association with Alan Howarth, same as um, the uh, Halloween two and three, as well as Escape from New York, all oh. in association. Howarth did Retribution too. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, next cool. from from the Ray Dennis Steckler box is Body Fever. So this is sort of him doing a noir movie, a private detective movie. Interesting. So Steckler is the detective himself. So it's Gopher, Goofer. He is now a detective. Uh, it just he always looks exactly the same. Steckler has such a distinct look that I they all feel like the same character to me. <laughs> but he's hired by these guys to look for this lady who is supposedly missing, but actually she stole a bunch of heroin and they're trying to track her down. Oh, it's I, I mean, it's one of these Ray Dennis Steckler plots where just things happen and then you move on to the next thing and then this thing leads to this thing. But it's <laughs> it's kind of like the nice guys, but it's just Ed Wood instead of or not Ed Wood. It, it feels Ed Woody, though, uh, but <laughs> with just, you know, Ray Dennis Steckler instead of two people, it's him looking for this. Uh, this very shaggy story of him trying to uncover this whole thing about this missing girl, but she's not actually missing. <laughs> uh weird like yeah it's it's weird uh the ending moment and this isn't really a spoiler because it has nothing to do with anything but it has them in bed together at the end of the movie and then has this ominous pan over and there's a hand puppet of a crocodile in a hat box and it turns and looks at the camera and then the movie's over and it's like what the fuck was that <laughs> so so this isn't a movie about evil crocodile puppets though no, it's just compl I don't recall having seen it prior in the film. Very strange. Uh, cool. <laughs> next, we've got Hot Dog the Movie. I feel like I've seen this or I know what this is. This is I think I had this on the stacks last December, too. Yeah, it's a skiing movie. <laughs> right. Uh, the, the best part of it is like the last 20 minutes where they have the Chinese downhill. Uh, which is just everybody puts on battle gear and they battle ski down to the bottom of the hill. It rules. It's incredible. That's, that sounds fun. 
but the problem is like a lot of the movie is getting there. Uh, it's mm. this weird thing where uh, the American players are all mad that they have to have an equal amount of European players on the tour because they feel that like better American players are being crowded out by the Europeans and they have all of this conspiracy shit about block voting and it just, I don't care. But then, the implications you know, of this. Oh yeah, no, I know. It's it's very there's there's so much of it for being what is essentially just a slobs versus snobs movie where there's the uppity German guy who is very full of himself and uh you know the the cool dudes who uh, just want to party and have wet sh- t-shirt contests and shit. Right, right, and of course those are the good guys. They're the good guys, obviously. And like, yeah. it's weird because the editing of it, it has these sequences where it shows them do their routines back to back and where they react like, well, his was obviously better. And it's like, I don't know that it was obviously that much better. The stuff is so subjective that it is a little bullshit. Uh, <laughs> like, there's one where he does something that's obviously more impressive and gets a lower score. But all of the other ones, it's like they have to really uh juice it to make it feel like uh, they have to juice it in terms of all the other characters reacting negatively to the scores and like really uh they they felt it was that much better i don't even see it (laughs) next we've got moon stalker it's another snowy movie this one's a slasher it's a camp slasher uh i think it originally was being made under the title Camper Stamper. <laughs> Funny. Uh, very high body count, but it's kind of silly and very bloodless. Okay. It's they're, they're, the, the killer. He's been broken out of a mental institution by his dad. And then he's just kind of trying to use him to steal stuff from people. Like, yeah, these, these rich people have their nice... Uh, you know, they have this nice motorhome and they've got a microwave oven. You know, our life would be a lot better if we had a microwave oven. So he tries to get them, <laughs> you know, go kill all of them and, and so they can get a microwave oven. And then as the dad is hauling the microwave oven out of the camper, uh, having murdered these people, he has a heart attack and falls over and dies. So the guy just, you know, he's left loose to uh, go <laughs> on his spree. I'm just imagining Homer telling Bart to go kill Flanders and take his lawnmower. <laughs> yeah, it's it feels kind of like that. If you if it were Hugo rather than Bart, right? You know, oh, Hugo okay. chained up in the attic. You're right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and there's a camp counselor training camp nearby, obviously. So he's got to show up there, take him out. Remember, camp counselors don't have sex while children are drowning. Yeah, it turns yeah. into a whole big thing. One oh one. Uh, Next, we've got Passion Fever, which is the next from the Doris Wishman box. Uh, This this is one of the ones where she got these Greek exploitation movies that she had no soundtrack for, that she just decided (laughs) to dub her own conception of whatever the movie might have been about. (laughs) You could have told me that that was what her other movies were, too, and I feel that way. (laughs) Yeah, this one, it's distinctly off because you can tell in places that the stuff that's happening clearly conflicts with the sound that we're hearing because <laughs> there's there's a part where there's i think it's a very catholic street festival where everybody's lighting candles and somberly walking i think it might be kind of a funeral thing and party music blaring like it's fucking mardi gras <laughs> that was really funny um there's 
there's a bit where uh, the the male and female lead are having sex on the beach and they're laughing and frolicking in the surf, uh, obviously laughing. And Doris has dubbed it. So the girl is saying, no, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? It's strange. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a weird flavor because it's like it is wishmany, but it's her trying to interpret another work and not getting it. <laughs> the uh, bus terminal didn't pay off this time. I guess not. I I think, uh, I don't even remember what it's about. There's just this, I think the original movie is supposed to be about a gigolo, but oh. in this one, it's not, it's just this <laughs> Greek guy who has girlfriends and I don't even understand what happened. Uh, <laughs> next is an American hippie in Israel. How racist is this? So it is an Israeli movie. Oh, it's uh, it's sort of a, like it's made in 1972. So it's post uh, it, it's kind of after the hippie meltdown, it, it, you know, hippie dumb had sort of gone gone away for the most part. By this point, things right. had kind of cr- already crashed and burned. It's an autopsy of the hippie lifestyle in a weird sort of way. Oh, that sounds interesting. So it's made in cooperation with the Israeli government. And I think that's really key in how they're portraying it. Because obviously the hippie is an interesting figure to people in Israel where there is mandatory military service, where you know <laughs> the hippie ethos is very centrally anti-war. Right. So... It's this American hippie. He shows up in Israel and he's really charming and he gets all these people to follow him. And it sort of turns into like he's maybe going to start a cult, even though he has these machine gun toting mime assassins after him occasionally. (laughs) So they show up and they murder everybody in the building except for hippie, his girlfriend and this other couple. So they decide they're going to go and live on an island. And they, they're driving down the coast and they see this island that it's not far off. You can swim to it and take a little raft to it. And they take sure. very little supplies. <laughs> take take just like a couple bags of supplies, take a small raft, and they uh, go over to, you know, they boat over to this small island that's rocky, obviously can't sustain anything. Yeah. And they are so proud of themselves. They're screaming free freedom, freedom <laughs> free at their car, which is on the mainland. So anyone could come up to this Island at any time and arrest and or murder them. Oh, absolutely. The thing is they just get really hammered and shout about their freedom and their boat drifts away and they're stuck there. <laughs> and Tippy's like, it's all right. I got this. I'm going to swim across and there's sharks. So he can't swim across. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, and then it turns into just the world's dumbest version of Survivor, where just nobody knows what they're doing. They didn't bring any supplies. They're just, like, <laughs> all mad at the hippie, because, like, why did you get us into this situation? And one of the dudes only speaks Hebrew. So he is just furious with the hippie, but they have no way to communicate with each other. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Strange movie. Not very good, but fascinating. All like, right. Uh, a really interesting thing, like there, there is a, this great dream sequence that the hippie has where it's like literally they're in a car all driving. And even though no one actually specifically mentions drugs, there's a part where they're driving and he's like, 
all right, I'm going to go space out. And he just like leans over and it goes into a bizarre dream sequence where it's all <laughs> really obvious symbolic sequences of just like people shooting at each other down a line and all falling over. And there's a part where there's these two giant robots with tape decks for heads that he beats <laughs> with a hammer. Sure, okay. <laughs> Weird. Uh, so after that, I figured let's watch an actual counterculture uh, film, although not really hippie, but we got No More Excuses and, uh, from the Robert Downey Sr. box. Oh, right. Haven't touched that in a while. Yeah. Uh, it's a very short movie. It's less than an hour. It's sort of him. Uh, it's him joking about the uh, the sexual revolution. And it, it, my my feeling is it's him being like, this isn't a sexual revolution. It's literally just people arguing more loudly about stuff that everybody has always been doing. Mm. Cause like it's, it's him doing interviews at singles bars, which are real at the time. Just the, this is the era of the singles bar coming into uh, prominence. Right. Like swingers and stuff starting to exist. And then there's this, this guy, he's not real, but he's part of this group called Cinna. Uh, the Society for Indecency of Naked Animals. And he's, for the entire film, they just constantly cut back to him. Each time it cuts back to him, I find it funnier because he's just raging and raging about how animals should be dressed in public because it's indecent for them to be nude. And, you know, they want to wear clothes like us. They want the decency. Um, As a cat owner... Uh, I don't know about your dogs, but I can tell you for sure my cat does not want to wear clothes like humans do. Like, it's so elaborate that there are, like, later points it cuts back to him. And he's like, I can't believe this guy still has more to say. And he's like, we have an institute where we've been teaching dogs to put on and take off suits. It's like, this is incredible. <laughs> uh, also, there's this side thing where he's showing the assassination attempts on President Garfield, but just them being thwarted by him secretly being very gay weird weird stuff it's kind of just a montage movie because it's a whole bunch of stuff together uh a lot of it is just interviews with people at singles bars though okay interesting interesting stuff cool and last up we've got the siege of firebase gloria i figured if i was going to watch a bunch of hippie movies i should watch a vietnam movie i don't think we've covered a vietnam movie on here so this one is a late period one. It's 89 and it's an Australian movie. It's by uh, director Brian Trenchard Smith, who sort of a, one of the major Ozploitation directors. Oh, OK. So it's it's got Arlie Ermey. They're, they're really leaning into the tropes. You got Arlie Ermey playing basically the same character that he had in Full Metal Jacket. He's Gunny, but he's the main character in this. He is okay. the narrator in this, which is a big problem. <laughs> He's oh, not a good narrator. Boy. Yeah, it's him doing the narrating. He's the focal point character. Uh, and it's it's super bloody. It's very violent. It's all about uh, it's it's set around the Tet Offensive. And he is part of a group who are aware that the Tet Offensive is going to happen, but no one will believe them. But And they're like deep behind enemy lines. So they're just kind of finding a place to get safe in the meantime. Right, right. But it's fascinating as just like uh, his second in command is Wings Hauser. Oh, my God. We haven't. So I was <laughs> looking at it. We since we named Wings Hauser MVP last year when we when we did our year in review, 
we have done yeah we have not done a single wings hauser movie since yeah, then it's true uh so the, this like he plays a guy called denardo or nard for short which is pretty funny that's fun and the thing is he has been in vietnam like he he has been a, a soldier in vietnam he's devoted himself to it since he was a teenager when he got into the army so he's been in vietnam for like 17 years it's just like him being there for half his life and also uh, Vietnam at this point in the conflict being so destabilized from being, you know, just where all of this warfare has been happening between two high-tech nations and just agrarian villages. Uh, interesting. Yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty interesting movie. It's super violent. It's uh, very nihilistic. Uh, it's kind of about just horrors of war stuff, but it's played like an exploitation film. So you'll see you know, giant stack of dead children's bodies, but then you'll also have like uh, Arlie Ermey uh, holding two severed heads of soldiers who died because they weren't paying enough attention, screaming at everyone's like, they let their guard down for five minutes and this is what happened to them. (laughs) Yeah, it's a whole wild fucking thing. I'm imagining that he narrates exactly like that. He, his narration is very flat, unfortunately. And that's kind of the, the big problem is it's just, he doesn't know how to sell narration. Like, I don't think oh. he had any training as a voice actor. He's not an actor. <laughs> originally. Right, right. He's a drill sergeant. And this is only a couple years after Full Metal Jacket. So, yeah, just the voice acting, I don't think he had gotten a hang of yet. And it always feels hesitant and flat. And it's kind of the big problem with the movie. But, yeah, it's pretty fun otherwise. Okay. So those are our 11 pictures. What do you figure for our first film next? Or, sorry, our second film next week? Well, I'm thinking of uh, Firebase Gloria because... One, we haven't done a Wings Hauser movie in forever. Two, I think we've only done one other Australian movie. Masturbating Gunman? Yep, yep. <laughs> um, Might be. Three. Actually, no, just those two things. But, you know, those are good reasons to get into a movie. Sure, yeah. And uh, it sounds fun. I, I, I like Arlie Ermey. Yeah, it's, even if it's I definitely won't like his narration. Of, yeah, it's, it's one of the better ones I watched this week, I feel. Yeah, it's a good movie. Cool. Yeah, all right, let's do it. All right, so we have a few additions to the stacks first this week as well. So first up, Dead Girls is the next one, or last one in the Homegrown Horrors, Volume 2 from Vinegar Syndrome. Okay. This is a late-period slasher. It's about an all-girl rock band called The Dead Girls, and uh, they're being attacked by this guy who's basing the kills on weapons in their songs, I think, is the idea. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh next Cynthia the Devil's Doll is the next oh, one. Oh spelled S I N. Sin. Yeah, Cynthia. Okay. So this one is the next one in the Ray Dennis Steckler box. Uh it, it the it's this girl who killed her parents while they were having sex. Uh and then She's let out of uh, an institution years later, and it's her uh, having dreams about Satan. And uh, <laughs> I, it's you know it's a Ray Dennis Steckler thing. One thing leads to another, to another, to another, and I don't know. It's gonna be <laughs> fucking crazy. Cool. <laughs> Next, we've got the Sex Perils of Paulette 
Who do you think this one's by? Uh, I'm going to guess this is a Doris Wishman. That's a Doris Wishman joint. Uh, this one, you'll be surprised to learn there's this lady, and she's got this apartment. She's got some lingerie. And, oh, does the apartment <laughs> have furniture? I would have to guess that there's probably a couch, maybe with a cover on it. Uh, and <laughs> she, through reasons, you know, she, she comes to the big city and she has to do some work. And then, you know, she ends up being a prostitute. How could you, How could this be? How could it not be? What other options are there? You're in a Doris yeah. Wishman movie and you just came to the city. It's like, oh, I mean, what, what a plot. I, I would never have guessed. So uh, next we've got the Mephisto Waltz. This one's kind of like, you know, Get Out, the movie Get oh, yeah. Out. But, but think uh-huh. like the plot of Get Out, the body switching thing. And without the race stuff, like if, if we kind of removed any social commentary of that regard, made it like a body switching thing, but just... How about sexy young Alan Alda? Everybody really wants to be Alan Alda. Get their hands in that body. <laughs> All right. Uh, as part of like the Satan exploitation wave after uh, The Exorcist. Okay. So instead of using hypnotism, I guess using satanic ritual for body switching. Right. Yeah. As you do. Uh, yeah. Next, we've got two tons of towels of t- or two. Hmm. <laughs> Two tons of turquoise to Taos tonight, which is the last one in the uh, Robert Downey Sr. box. Uh, I, I skipped Putney Swope because I have a better edition of it standalone. That movie rules. That's his advertising satire where okay. <laughs> this, uh, it, it's a board of directors for an advertising company. And like I, I think I can't remember exactly how it comes about. I think everybody, as a joke, nominates the one black guy on the board and doesn't realize that every other guy, every other doofy asshole, rich white guy made the same joke. <laughs> so the guy ends up oh. taking the job and then he revolutionizes it. Good right. stuff. Right. <laughs> cool. And last edition is Battle of the Worlds. This is uh, Antonio Margariti, weird camp sci-fi stuff. Uh, There's some people who are looking at a space telescope and they realize that there's this rogue comet that seems to be controlled by aliens that's heading toward their planets. They're going to have to fucking fight it out with it. Ooh, hard enough to fight a comet, but an alien comet? That's that's too Controlled by aliens. Yeah, it's fucking dangerous. You don't want to do that. Uh, You got to get like... Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum. I guess so. So those are... One. You, no, it was 1961. It's not uh, available at the time. No. <laughs> so those are our uh, final editions. Oh, what do you figure for our first post-Christmas movie next week? What should we pair with The Siege of Firebase Gloria? Um, You know what? I am thinking... I'm thinking I want to revisit female prisoner Scorpion. Maybe she gets a robot or a samurai sword in this one. Maybe so. So the next one is Beast Stable. Uh, as I recall, the the plot of this one was she ends up uh, working for some pimp that like she and a friend escape from prison again. And then they end up as part of the Beast Stable uh, with this crazy lady pimp. I want to say I have read the uh, back of it some time ago and I don't remember. Yeah. uh, The brothel madam. Right. Uh, And Oh, the vice officer who, you know, Scorpion was betrayed by 
uh, also killed the brothel madam's lover. So she Uh-oh. has beef with Scorpion over it, which I don't get. I, I, I assume that's what it's about. That doesn't make any sense because we'll figure it out. They both have beef, but that's it. Yeah, I mean, it, that's uh that is a uh, basic setup. You're going to have a, a bunch of people in sex work. You're going to have some escaped criminals. That is a female prisoner Scorpion movie. <laughs> and then she's going to dress all in black and murder them with something. Something cool. Probably going to be slashing with something. It's good stuff. Yeah. All right. So uh, next week we'll be covering Female Prisoner Scorpion, Beast Stable, as well as The Siege of Firebase Gloria. It should be a pretty good time, I think. I think so. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Uh, well, any last thoughts before we uh, close up for this Christmas? Uh, yeah, make sure uh, to take to check your calendar because you don't want to miss Garbage Day. See, I'm currently missing Garbage Day because we got three fucking feet of snow and they canceled the garbage pickup and the mail and uh, the buses and everything. The whole city shut down. I cannot believe how much <laughs> snow there is in this it's- town. Oh, it it's a, it is unusual for us right before Christmas, and just yeah, we got this huge dump, uh, and uh, just everything is shut down. The whole city is closed, and I don't think the snow is going anywhere anytime soon either. No, I think we're supposed to get rain by the end of the week, and maybe that will start it melting. So then we get slush. Yeah. I anyway, do so much driving. <laughs> Woo! Yay! Merry Slushmas. So thanks, everyone, so much for listening. Uh, And, of course, uh, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, peeps. Oh, Merry Christmas, yes.